Hello and welcome to another episode of the Backcheck the Hockey History Podcast. My name is Riley. Over there is Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good, how about you? I'm doing all right, thanks. And we're continuing our like semi-national theme episodes with a, a Russian episode. Um, but two of the players are Russian. One of them is not Russian in any way, shape, or form. So our eligible player uh, for this episode is Alex McGillany. Our recently inducted player is Pavel Burry. And our not Russian old timer is Corb Denony, Corbett Denony, brother of Cy Denony, who we talked about a couple episodes ago. <laughs> so um, we're going to start things off with Alex McGillney, um, who I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen the Sportsnet like brief documentary, like half hour long documentary, like twenty two minutes about his not. perfection? So there's no. a actually. There's an interesting uh, document. I just watched it maybe a couple weeks ago. Um, it's just about, like, because, you know, I when this happened, I was I was eight, and I was not a hockey fan. Uh, but, like, he was one of the last major players to defect, right? Yes. And before the USSR died, and he really did defect. Um, he yeah. was snuck out of a tournament um, by the Buffalo Sabres, and... <laughs> They they took him to the United States uh, with his permission. Obviously, this was his idea. They 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 had contacted the, his people had contacted the Sabers. And it, anyway, it's you can find it on YouTube. Um, wow. It's called Defector Alexander McGillney, at least neat. the one I found. And it's it's interesting because it's got uh, you know it's got uh, interviews with everybody involved except for McGillney. I think just the, like the people who actually were involved in the uh, including like the visa officer, the U.S. United States, like foreign, uh, sorry, State Department visa officer and other people like that, who were involved um, in in the transaction. So it's 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 really interesting. If I'd watched it more recently, I would talk about it. But unfortunately, I watched it like three or four weeks ago, if not more. And I don't remember exactly the story. Just that it was crazy. And I didn't. It reminded me a little bit of like a more serious version of that Malkin nonsense from way back when. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this one actually had consequences, right? They, they were being chased around by the KGB. Um, well, they not the KGB, uh, the, the uh, NGVD or whatever the internal version of the KGB was. Um, they were, you know, they, no one was hurt or anything, but they were follow, being followed, and and uh, because they did think that something was going to happen. And it's an it's an interesting. It's worth. So I just wanted to mention that before we talk about them, it's it's worth watching. It's a reminder that the world was very different when he came into the league. Yeah, absolutely. And it relates it's, to his lack of foreign international success, which we will uh, talk about later. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to think about that, you know, because uh, they had the Bure, McGillney, and Fedorov line for uh, for the Russians, right? Yeah. That was just absolute dynamite. Yeah. Um, and ended up being all fantastic NHL players. And I, you know, if McGillney's the only one who's not in, it's a little bit sort of bizarre. So I think maybe what we're sort of going to get into is why is he not in yet? Um, I think he probably, you know what? I, I, I'll reserve judgment, but I'm, I'm already leaning a little bit like he should be because I remember him, how great he was, especially in Buffalo. Like he was unbelievable until he broke that leg in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so, and he put up good numbers in Vancouver too. So I mean, and, and yeah. with the Leafs. So we'll, 
the story of his career is consistency, right? Or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so just before we get into all that stuff, he is still third all time among Russian NHLers in goals and points. Um, and that is only in 990 games. And that makes him fourth all time in goals per game and points per game again among Russian players. And, uh, but he's not like because he only played 990 games in the in the 90s and 2000s. He's not like on the bigger leaderboards, right? Because we're talking about less than yeah. 500 goals and just over a thousand points. Um. Also, he, he we want to talk about his draft. He was in a good draft, yeah. the one we've talked about a bunch of times with uh, Modano and Recky and Blake and Solani. So he. He doesn't like, though he was drafted 89th overall. Because, as as Bill, you've mentioned a number of times with episodes about these foreign players, nobody you know, nobody knew he could come over, or would yeah. come over. But moreover, even once that was settled, even once the USSR fell apart, they were still not sure whether or not they would come over. And in addition to that, they of course didn't scout yes. um, Europe the way they do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's yeah. drafted 89th. Uh, but he's he's only you know he's uh, what is it he's like sixth or fifth in goals in the draft and like seventh in assists and sixth in points, which yeah. doesn't sound that great. But you know, in terms of the points, the people ahead of him are Recky, Solani, Madano, Ronick, Brindamore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're all Hall of Famers. So. And there's, the thing about that is he played significantly fewer games than all of them, even Ronick. You know, like yeah. Ronick, who's the closest he is in two games, he played, what, what is it, like uh, three, 370-ish games less. Yeah. So, you know, he he didn't play anywhere near as long as everyone else. So all the people ahead of him, I mean, uh, hockey reference, you can't, you can't uh, figure out, like it doesn't display per game stats in the draft, so okay. I don't know how he compares. But he mm-hmm. has, you know, he has almost 500 goals, and the rest of these guys. I mean, Solani's got six, almost 700. Mark Ricky's got almost 600. But Mandano and Ronick are over five. But they did it in in 1500 games and 1350 games, respectively, right? And yeah. he only had 473 and 990. So yeah. he's got he's much closer to uh, a goal per, uh, you know, every uh, every other game than they are. Um, yeah. <clears throat> So he he looks he does I mean obviously Timu was better, um, I obviously McGillney was a more dynamic offensive player but I think we can both agree that both Medano and Bruno Moore were better defensive players than McGillney. It's absolutely not a, yeah. not a long shot to say that. And Recky yeah. Recky played forever, you know, mm-hmm. you know one point seven five times as long or something as as uh, yeah. not quite twice as long as uh, McGillney did, but. He is among the very best in this very good draft. Yeah. And it's interesting if you look at the draft too, like he he's drafted in round five, 89th overall. He's the he's the first Soviet player taken. Yeah. Um, and it was like teams wouldn't throw away. A lot of times teams legitimately thought, hey, we're throwing away a pick on this. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to come over if we draft a Swede or a, a Finnish player. A Czech player, they might come over. I, the Czechs were kind of hit and miss too, because it's because the Iron Curtain. But yeah, um, 
you know, the Soviet players are like, if he can defect at a tournament, we might get him, but odds are he's not coming over. So it's kind of a throwaway pick. And McGillney gets taken, I guess this is kind of how highly regarded he was. He's the first Soviet taken in round five. Um, The next one taken is uh, 40, no, 30 picks later. Wow. uh, Dmitry Kristich. Oh, who actually okay. did play in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next one taken is 10 picks later, and it's Valerie Kamensky in round seven. Oh, wow. Okay. Which we don't even, you know, we, this is the last of what we have now, but obviously there's fewer teams. And then the next Soviet goes all the way to 180th, and I've never heard of him, uh, 188. And then yeah. three straight at the end of round 10. <laughs> 207, 208, 209. And I think the draft 211 picks now. So that's pretty much the very end of the draft. And then there's a few other guys who get taken in rounds uh, 11 and 12. But, uh, you know, teams just, they felt like they were throwing the pick away. So like, you know what? We kind of like that guy. Yeah. Who are we going to draft in round 10? Just throw one on him. Like that's when they would pick those guys. Cause the odds of them coming over were very low. Yeah. But you know, the teams who were smart enough to say, Hey, we think that guy might come over and he's basically, he would go top 10 or maybe even top five. Were he to be eligible to come over, then, you know, some teams are smart enough to say, yeah, let's burn a fifth round pick on him and let's see what happens kind of thing. You know? So my memory um, of the documentary is that they may have gotten some kind of hint. Yeah. Like the, 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 there may have been a rumor floating around the NHL that McGillney wanted to come West. Yeah. Um, and so I think the reason the Sabres took him as early as they did relative to the time is because, again, from memory, I, uh, I watched this a while ago, but was that they they had an inkling. And then, of course, then they actually had to get him over, which turned out to be very, very hard. Yeah, they did it. But, like, you know, this is different than when we we're going to talk about Burray, because when Burray was drafted, was, uh, you know, the Iron Curtain was, uh, uh, well, the, you know a lot about his draft, but, like, I believe the Iron Curtain, oh, no, he was drafted in the same draft. Yeah, I uh, know yeah. it's not. The, I think it's the next year, I believe. Okay. Um, anyway, um, the Iron Curtain was starting to come down, and things were changing. But whereas with McGillney, it was still very much a thing. And but I think that like somebody on the Sabers had, had a had you know a little bird told them that yeah. uh, maybe maybe yeah. he might, and so they were like, "Well, okay, we're going to use this earlier because we think another team's going to do the same thing." Yeah, and 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 the thing is too. Yeah, they're probably like teams might start burning those picks in the sixth or seventh round. So we should get on it in the fifth round and just make sure if anybody's going to eventually be able to sneak him out of there, it'll be us. And the thing is too, like in retrospect, people are like, like it didn't take much longer for the Soviet empire to sort of collapse and those players to be able to come over. Um, But at the time it seemed impossible. Like it was just like, you know, it's going to yeah, be no, east really versus did. west forever. Like people in the, in the documentary, they talk about how people thought like they were crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. They it's like you don't wait to wait to throw a pick in the garbage, you idiots. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because if you look at the people drafted after him, I mean, it's not like there's a ton of Hall of Famers. <laughs> you know. No. Yeah. Like there, there's the odd like serviceable NHLer, uh, yeah. Dixon Ward, for example. But like, yeah. You know, oh, Dixon like, Ward was great. You you might have uh, you might as well if you thought you could do it you might as yeah. well right yeah you uh, like swing for the fences and if he doesn't come over be like yeah who are we really gonna get you know yeah um 
I think a lot of the Russians who end up getting drafted like that, even with like the Red Wings loading up on all those Russians was like, you know, Fedorov later because nobody thought he'd come over. Um, I think in the same draft, they ended up getting like Fedorov and uh, Vladimir Konstantinov. Yeah. And both those guys were like instrumental in winning that first cup. Like just, yeah. you know, such important players. And it's, you know, you, you could take a flyer on them and hope for the best. And it's like some teams just were, you know, I'm going to draft a Canadian because 200 Canadians were drafted every single year. And then, you know, a few Americans and a couple of Europeans. And yeah. like, I think in that draft, uh, 11 Soviets got taken out of yeah. 250 uh, players or something. Yeah, it's full on 252 players, 11 are Soviets, only 39 Europeans. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Actually, you know what? There's only seven Finns, so they drafted more Soviets than Finns. Or just bonkers. Um, the Finns could and, come over. I know, and two players from West Germany, so you know it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then 129 from Canada and 84 from the States. So, yeah. I mean, really, it's a very, it's basically the North American draft with. Yeah. If you want a waste to pick, go ahead and draft one of those Euros. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? It's it's very old school hockey, and it doesn't make sense for people who follow the draft now where it's like you can get a guy from – well, I mean, look at Kopitar, right? He's from Slovenia, and it's like Slovenia plays hockey? Like yeah. well, they, if the guy's good, he's good. doesn't matter where he's from. In but, fact, he fell. I remember him falling specifically because he was Slovenian. <laughs> Don't even don't even talk to me about it because I'm a Vancouver fan and I was like, we're gonna take Kopitar. We've got the tenth pick. We're totally gonna take Kopitar. And we took Luke Burdon. I'm like, <laughs> we needed Kopitar. It's it's not fair because Luke Burdon could have been a fantastic NHL player. And we just don't know because he died so young, which is yeah. very very sad. Um, but I was still upset that we hadn't taken Kopitar because you know as a Canucks fan, I'm like, we could have had Sedin, Kopitar, and Kessler as our three centers. To me, that's more than more than one cup, probably, yeah. if you have those three centers. I just knew how good he was going to be. And I honestly, at the time, didn't know a thing about Luke Burdeau. And he, yeah. he had already made the NHL before he passed away at a very young age. So yeah. he obviously would have been an NHLer. We just don't know how good he could have been. Yeah. And he looked great when he played for us. But still, to me, Kopitar was the, the winning move sort of thing. And I was very yeah. upset when they did not take him. Well, was, Similar was, to them not taking Kachuk, and they took Yule Levy instead. And I'm like, why are you doing that? But, you know. It's it's easy to have that hindsight too, but at the time, like you know, I've been I've been wrong on occasion. I wasn't a big fan of the Pedersen pick, and boy, was I ever wrong on that one. So, um, the thing is like, yeah, it, the way it was framed at the time with Kopitar wasn't mm -hmm. like, the concern was okay. He's he's beating up on everyone in this inferior league. That yeah, is because he's everybody else sucks, so he looks great. Yeah, that's a legitimate concern. Mm -hmm. But of course, that was just hiding the well. We don't know that Slovenians are good at hockey, like which is just the nonsense part of it, right? Like, what Absolutely. does it matter what your fucking ethnicity? Is? <laughs> you're good at hockey, or you're not good at hockey. Yeah, and he's clearly yeah. great at hockey. Yeah, yeah, it's very still very upsetting I, for me. I just remember like watching the draft, me like you're all idiots. You're all idiots. Like. Just take the guy, like Jesus, you know, like it's a crapshoot regardless. Hell, people are drafted out of the like, out of uh, the league below the CHL sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah, the Alberta Junior or BC, or BC yeah. uh, JHL. But the thing is, good players come out of there occasionally. Um, yeah, but like, I remember somebody was telling me like uh, Yager when he was like fourteen or fifteen was still playing in like an A league, like he wasn't playing in the top yeah. league, and it's like. 
what? It's like, I don't know, maybe he was like a skinny little teenager and then he grew into his man body and like, holy crap, that guy's incredible. Like, but I bring it up for the simple reason that like, they don't go, they don't tie themselves into knots over those guys, right? Like, I know. If you think, if you have a gut feeling about a guy in the BC Hockey League, even though he's not playing against top competition, you draft him. You don't yeah. go, you don't time in knots, but suddenly he's Slovenian and you're like, oh, I don't know. Like it's just tr 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 trust me. I was when I saw him fall to us. I was giddy. I thought there was no way we would pass on him, and then we passed him, and I was so upset. Yeah. <laughs> Ruined my day. I skipped my my. I remember I was working. Uh, I was working at an old folks home in Montreal, and sort of it was like there was just a finite amount of things to do during the day. I was doing maintenance and uh, janitorial stuff, and I I ended up finishing all my stuff quite early and i was working at a frenetic pace that day because i really wanted to watch the draft yeah and basically like the boss just said well there's a tv there none of uh none of the elderly ladies that live here will be using it so you can go ahead and watch there but like what time is it on i said oh it's on at 2 p.m and she's like okay so just skip your lunch and you can eat your lunch while you watch it i'm like yay so basically my day was over and i was sitting there watching the draft and i was going to drive home right after and then they to me, they blew that pick, and I was so upset. It ruined my day like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I was very angry. A little bit hangry, but mostly angry. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, so, anyways, uh, that whole tangent's over now, yeah. yes. But it just goes to show, like, in those days, everybody just sort of went for the safe pick. Like, we know this guy will yeah. make the NHL. Yeah. He's a Canadian. Let's take him. Let's, yeah. you know, and it's like – Every once in a while, you'll see a team now do it too, right? They're like, okay, it's end of the first round. That guy is going to be a third liner in the NHL for sure. Yeah. Let's just take that guy. We're going to get a player. And I think, you know, once you get into the second round, if you think he's going to make the NHL, you take that guy. But you got to swing for some home runs, if, especially if you're a really bad team. Like, you need stars to win. So you might as well swing for the fences every once in a while. Not with every pick, but I mean, you know. It, I would say if you if you have multiple picks in a round, one should be like a, that guy will make the NHL, and one should be like a, we have no idea if he's going to come over here and actually even play for us. But if he does, holy crap, he could be spectacular. That kind I'll, of thing. You know? not, not to keep on this tangent too long, but you bring up Freddie Gauthier, um, yes. a, a like fourth liner for the Maple Leafs who was drafted in the first round because they yep. knew he was going to be a player. Yep. Good on uh, faceoffs. He can play defensively. He'll probably never score any goals, but he'll be yeah. a guy we can put out there and trust in the but playoffs. You know, if you look at his draft and the games played in his draft, he's way down into like the 30s or Absolutely. 40s because, yep. of course, shockingly, yeah, some of the players below him um, yep. who had more potential turned out to actually now not all of them by any means, but lots of them uh, turned out to uh, to be better choices. And I know it, it's not exact science, but I am absolutely of the opinion that you just said that you might as well swing for the fences, because because yeah, you you can you can sign fourth liners for exactly. not very much money. That's the thing; you can go out and get somebody like this from, or like just you know pick guys from the AHL, even you know like yeah. good players from the AHL. Anyway, let's get back to McGillney. Um, yes. <laughs> so yeah, so he. Uh, he he is one of the best players in his draft, um, yes. and and the only reason he was drafted as low is why we were just talking about. Uh, for his era, um, he's a little. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of hit and miss. It's because he only played nine hundred ninety games, 
um, his his totals are not as great as his rate stats. So his rate stats, he's like fifth in goals per game for his era, uh, but he's like 15th in total goals, for example. And he's like eighth in points per game, but he's like 20th in points. Um, there's a lot of people, I guess, played over that same period, uh, but like a lot of people played longer than him. So it's the same thing with the draft, whereas like there are a bunch of people who have better overall career numbers, but like if you adjust, if you look at the per game, he he looks better than if you don't. Yeah, and it's worth noting he is absolutely a point per game player without adjusting for era. He eighty five points for every eighty two games. Though if you adjust for era, that is only goes up two points, eighty seven points for eighty two games, which is still very good. Um, and better. It's worth noting better than some people who are in the Hall of Fame. Yes. <laughs> But his uh, his playoff game, his playoff numbers are not great. Eighty six points, one hundred and twenty four games, and this is one of the criticisms of him throughout his career was that he would disappear in the playoffs. Um, we can get into that more when we get to the playoffs, but uh, that was definitely a thing. <laughs> to be fair, he sort of disappeared one year because the Canadians broke his leg into a million yes, pieces, yes. which. For people, you know, for for younger fans who may not have watched the playoffs in the in that era, that was the year where he scored seventy six goals. That was the year yeah. where, um, you know, that was the the Brad May year where you know Mayday May yeah. and, uh, they beat the Bruins and um, that Pat Lafontaine feeding McGillney had scored seventy six goals, and then in one of the games against the uh, Canadians, there's like a big pileup in front of the net and his legs kind of like can't move because he's like surrounded by bodies. And one yeah. of the guys sort of cross-checked him in the chest and he fell backwards and his knee could not go with him. Yeah. And it is gross. Like I would say a top 10 gross sports injury. Like they even, they moved the camera away. They're like, don't show it again. That's just, Oh, his season's done. Like yeah. his leg just broke in a million places. Like, right. ugh, it's, it's really gross yeah. to look at. And it took him a long time to recover from that. It and did. until he ended up playing for Vancouver and then he ended up scoring 55 goals one year for Vancouver. But for a while, people are like, I don't think he's ever going to be able to score 50 goals again. Like he just yep. looks not the same. And then he's, I think it just, I think just the recovery to get that strength back. Cause his skating was a big factor in him scoring so many goals, kind of oh, like yeah. Burry. So it's like when your leg goes, like it takes a little while for you to get that oomph back in your skating. And once he did, he was, you know, 50 good for 55 goals on a mediocre Vancouver team. So, you know, yeah, really, he didn't, uh, right. He never really yeah. recovered. He never got back to the heights of 1993. On the other hand, it was 1993. Well, it was 1993, and he's also playing with Patty Lafontaine. You got to yeah. give him a bit of credit too. So. But I also I bring it up more because, like, it is really I know I know he he never really covered completely from that, but he did. Uh, the the difference is quite stark. So career, he's one point zero four points per. Sorry. <clears throat> Once again, You're another right. reminder: I need a uh, cough button. Um, <laughs> So 1.04 points per game uh, during the regular season, and he's about 0.67 in the playoffs. Like, it's a big drop. Wow. I didn't do the exact math, but it's 86 points in 124 games. Hmm. So roughly roughly 0.67, 0.65, something like that. So it's way down. Now, there could be all sorts of reasons for that, one of which being, um, you know, a lot of – well, I was going to say a lot of his playoff runs were on the Devils, but uh, they were on the Devils, and he wasn't playing a lot of minutes on the Devils for a number of those games, right? Like, he was a role player for whatever reason on the Devils. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's just – there's not um, – he didn't have a lot of great playoffs. The, in fact, the year he broke his leg was 
basically uh, his best playoff in terms of points per game. Um, so, anyway, um, we want to talk about his traits. Yes. Some big ones. Two big ones. The first of which uh, was when he was 26, he was traded with a fifth-round pick to Vancouver for Mike Pekka, who was 21. And I don't, Did Pekka play a game for the Canucks? Yes, he played a. I believe he played a full season for us, okay. if I'm not mistaken. So, but he was still very young. Um, he, was so, a, he was a great player. I mean, like obviously, like I really liked Becca. Um, I'm just gonna look his stuff up right now. But um, I remember him being like a oh man. He, he reminds me of sort of what Ryan Kessler became for us. Yeah, like he was gonna be the. Yeah, he played. Uh, he played 33 games for us in '94, '95. Okay. He had 12.6 six assists, but he looked like he was going to be pretty awesome. And then he got dealt for McGillney, but it's like, we're getting McGillney? Like, if he can go back to what he was, we got Bure and McGillney? Like, this is going to be lights out. <laughs> so, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, so, Never like, Pekka was quite young. And then whoever Mike Wilson was was even younger. Mm-hmm. And then the first-round pick you got became Jay McKee. Or, sorry, Buffalo got uh, yeah. Jamie, Jamie Key was a good NHLer. It's, uh... Yeah. So I mean, it's I, this makes sense to me. Um, you know, I guess Buffalo is looking to rebuild, and they get yeah. young prospects in a pick. And uh, Vancouver, I guess, was looking to add, you know, to, around the Linden Beret core. I guess, yeah. right? Um, they figured they weren't that far away. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it makes – that trade seems reasonable to me. Um, and, in fact – And, and Pekka was like a rock-solid, you know, like a 1B, 2A center his entire career. Like, he was – you know, until he was much, much later in his career. But at his peak, yeah, he was maybe not a number one, but like a number two sort of well, defensive – yeah. you got to keep the context in mind. He mm-hmm. he got away with doing that and not scoring very much, you know. He, yes. in, yeah, because no one era. was scoring very much. Yeah, at the time. But I mean, was, like he was, you know, I don't know if he, did he score fifty points in a in a season? Maybe once. Once twice, but like yeah. not much more. This was not a this was not a high scoring player. However, because he was very good at the other side of things, including slowing people down in ways that we would now possibly regard as illegal. Um, <laughs> Listen, I like Pekka. Michael Pekka, not oh, acknowledging that he was actually a very good hockey player. I, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed Pekka. The problem is he played against the Leafs, yeah. and it drove me crazy. Some of the yeah. some of the shoot he did, especially in the one uh, our one year that we uh, uh, they we were in the conference finals against them. Um, yes. he was, you know, listen, instrumental in that win. Yes, at, at the time. It all it all seemed very legal and fine, and I was just very impressed with him. Um, the thing is, a lot of that stuff, some not a lot, some of it is gone now. And yes. uh, listen, like when the Leafs had players who did that stuff, I was all I thought it was great. All yeah, I'm saying is that he his particular skill set may yes. not have completely translated to the 21st century in a way that no, say McGill. I, I still think he would have been an effective NHL player because I think he would have adapted. He was he was a pretty good skater and sort of I think he was able to play the game much in the way that 
this is again i'm going to use my sort of poor man's thing which i really hope none of these guys ever listen to this podcast i'll feel really bad but he's kind of like a poor man's patrice bergeron where he can play any style you want to play like do you want to play run and gun he can do that like he can actually has skill he can skate he can play if you want to play clutch and grab fight it out in the corners let's uh, knock each other's sticks out of each other's hands let's maybe uh, throw a dirty you know dirty little elbow into somebody's ribs he can play that style too like he is it's a very versatile player i'll give him that you know? once yeah so he had more than i remember him having but he was mostly 40 points per season yeah. but in in those days that was a solid number 2 center like there was yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that oh i know i know and he was basically their number 1 for a while because yeah, they exactly. didn't have anybody um, and they were able to succeed. All I was trying to say is they were able to succeed with him as a major player, in part because of the the way the league was. Absolutely. And well, I mean, they had Hashik, right? So they were just like, let's just let's you know, let's check Republic it, let's bottle it all up, and just let's hope Hashik stops everything. You know, if we score one goal, shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I I still think it, it's a trade that makes sense for both teams. I think. I, I agree. Um, and. It, Generally worked out because, of course, well, I don't know how much it worked out for you guys, but for the Sabres it worked out because, of course, they went to the, the Cup with him being an instrumental player in that Cup run. Yes, we, we did not. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we, we loaded up with top-end talent, and all of it crapped out. We traded Burray. We had stupid Messier for a while. Um, then I stopped following the team. I remember one Christmas, my brother and I still have them actually somewhere. Um, I think I still have the Burray one. I think my brother still has the McGillney one. Um, but we got like matching Canucks jerseys with Burray and McGillney on the back. Yeah. It was the year that Burray switched his number to 96 and then it promptly immediately got hurt. <laughs> like, like it did not take him long to immediately get hurt. Like, dude, that's that number's bad juju. Like go back to your 10. Um, and he eventually did, but uh, it never really worked out. And we're like, we have Burray and McGillney. Like we're just, like the team should be incredible and just they they were just okay like they're pretty good mcgillney led them in points one year uh, i think it was the year Bur- he, no it wasn't the year burry got traded i think it was the year before i think burry got hurt well, um mcgillney was hurt all the time for you guys too he never played any he closest his first season for you he played 79 games and he never matched that again while he was uh, he actually he never yeah. matched that again in his career well, I mean, the only way to stop the bloody guy was to take him out at the knees. And, you know, as we know from Ulf Samuelson and Cam Neely, that was apparently fine at the time. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I said once, you know, Beret, you know, a long knee recovery, it's just like, you know, then McGillney's the guy. And it's like, it should have been the two of them. You should have had two lines with that guy on that line. And you're just like so hard to play against, but it never seemed to work out that way. Yeah. And then when once once Messier came over, we had all three of them, and that did not <laughs> did not go well. So um, did not last long. Let's say with all three of them there, they got all moved very. Uh, let me actually see when Beret got moved because I can't remember the exact date, even though I probably should. I think it was, um, uh, was ninety nine. You are correct, good sir. Yes. So, so and then McGillian was traded the year after. Yeah. So, yeah, we basically dismantled that team, and we had, you know, young guys like Naslin and Bertuzzi and all those guys kind of starting to be in the system. But they basically said, ah, we're going to rebuild. These guys are not working out. And we had, like, you know, they're superstars, and they're just like, no, they're just not working. So, so it's, it's really weird. That should have worked. Like, on paper, that should have worked. It should have been a great team. Nope. <laughs> no chemistry. So uh, McGillney was traded 
I guess in 2000 for Brennan Morrison and Dennis Peterson. Um, Brennan, Brennan Morrison, of course, becoming the like the Steve Ruchin to uh, uh, Bertuzzi and Nasland. Um, oh no, no, he's a lot better than Steve Ruchin. He's like the Craigie Conroy to uh, to Iginla. <laughs> like, he's very much a facilitator of like that's the thing. It was better than the sum of its parts because it was at, like at that time. I think until the Forsberg, Tange, and Hayduke line sort of came on to being a part of them, they were the best line in the NHL. Yeah, and it's like yeah, you're like Morrison sort of lets those guys cheat a bit. He's really defensively responsible. He's going to get you like 60 points a year, and in that era, 60 points is a big deal. Yes, he's playing with great players, but nobody else seemed to play that well. And they tried Andrew Castles, didn't work. They tried some other guys who were good players. And like, nope, it's whatever it is. Morrison's just, he plays well with them. And I mean, yeah. a lot and of people would say, you know, Brandon Morrison ended up having a much better career because he played with them. But I think he facilitated those two guys being able to play with each other because anybody else on that line, you're like, dude, that line is useless. Like not useless, but I, it's not as good as it could be because there's no center sort of setting things up the way they need to be hanging back to make sure they're not just giving up chances like crazy the other way. He was a very useful player. And I remember at the, at the time of that deal, when we got Brendan Morrison, I'm like, yeah, he's all right. Like he, he might be okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think at that point I'd sort of given up on the McGillney thing. Like I was, yeah. The, the longer Messi was on the team. He was in his 30s. Sorry? He was in his 30s by that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in those so, days, being in your 30s wasn't as big of a deal yeah. as it is today, right? So. No, I know. But, like, you know, the fact that you were able to get a guy who became your number one center out of that is is, is pretty good, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it's another trade where I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It seems to have worked out. I mean, it worked out better for New Jersey. Because uh, yes. they want to stand up out of it. But, yes, they did. <laughs> um, so, uh, McGillney only ever won an award we don't consider a major one, which is the Lady Bing. However, he was. So, here's the thing about McGillney he was inconsistent, right? Like, as you pointed out, Bill, he had that one season in 96 for the Canucks where he was great. He, of yeah. course, had the 93 season where he, um, he had the same number of goals as Solani. 76 yes. and oh, then man, he had was a great season. <laughs> and then he had one year one other year uh in 2001 um when he was on the devils where he uh even though he only scored 83 points he was among the best players in the league because that was the you know peak of the clutch and grab era and 83 points was a lot of points so he had at least three seasons where he was in the leap forward yeah. the problem is it, if you think about that 93 96 and 01 those are fairly far apart. Those are yeah. eight seasons apart. And in between, he was, you know, not like his points per game are fascinating. You know, yes. it's like his first season in the NHL, he's at 0. 0.6. Then he's a point per yeah. game player. Then a couple of years later, he's point, 1.65. And then a couple of years mm -hmm. after that, he's down to 0. 0.88 and 0. 0.76. Yeah. Then he's back up again to, you know, like he he had these years. His his first year in Toronto, he's one point zero eight. Yeah, which like it just sorry his, sorry his second year in Toronto, second year in Toronto, the year yeah. he led the team in points. Um, he uh, the only year that Sundin didn't in the span of like a ridiculous twelve years or something. Wow. Uh, he just it's it's like I don't know how to like convey his lack of 
consistency. Yeah. Except for looking at the points per game where you just see them jump around and you're like, what the hell? And the yeah. only thing that gives you a clue as to why is you look at the games played. And you're like, yeah. 40, well, sorry, 79, 70, it's 51, 59, you know, 59 yeah. again. Like, clearly he had a lot of injury trouble. Absolutely. Yeah. The, like, he's, he's another case like Beret where I feel like if, if he doesn't get injured, the rate at which he scored, he's like, a, like he, he's up there like he's up there in terms of goal scoring and I mean thing is I mean like you look at his career he's you know a lot of people said like oh you know he kind of slowed down towards the end but the NHL was so hard to score in he had that season in 2002-2003 uh, for the Maple Leafs he had 79 and 73 the next year he has 30 and 37 and then his final year after the lockout and he's really old by this point because there's a picture of him on his hockey DB page where all of his hair is gray. <laughs> right, yeah. He looks he looks pretty old at that point. And of course he's only 50 now, so he couldn't have been that old then. Um, yeah. but he, he still scored 25 points yeah. in 34 games and he had 12 goals. So I mean you you know it's not a little bit more than a third of a season, but he's like a 25 goal scorer in his late 30s. Like he's a pretty good goddamn good player. It's just yeah. you know, I don't remember was that I think season they just in the was famously waived into the uh, AHL so they didn't have to pay him as yeah. well. Just it's like Andrew. Crappy thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, well, it helped him and Andrew. It both happened to both of them, Andrew being older. And I think it's what brought in that provision, right? Where you like, if yeah. if you, you got to, you sign a guy who's over 35. Yeah. You got to pay him regardless. They were just, that's what they were doing. They were dumping guys into the AHL. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows about the injuries? I mean, he was he was injured even early on. He wouldn't like he never played a full season in his entire career. No. And so we don't know. And the other thing is, you know, with him cuz he's Russian, yeah. you know, we just be like, "Oh, he's an Atlantic Russian," but we don't know how often he was playing hurt. You know, in in the no, years for in the years for example when he was putting up like 0.76 points per game for Vancouver, even though he was only 29. I don't know mm -hmm. how healthy he actually was when he was doing that. Because yeah. that's quite low compared to what he'd been doing most yeah, well, of the, 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 the Those years, too, like the 98-99 um, the, the seasons, yeah. those are the years when we brought in Messier, and it was just a goddamn train wreck. So, I mean, him to have 45 points, that that those teams were beyond useless. Those are the two years where it's sort of like a black hole in my Canuck fandom because I'm like, yeah. we signed Messier? I hate that guy. Why would you do that? Like, he, and it was angry. In my mind, because I'm a Canucks fan, and I'm like, we any other year we would have had that cup because we were on that sort of Cinderella run, kind of like what the Habs went on the year before, where it's just like we are just unbeatable in overtime. We just we had that look of a team that's just we've got the mojo and that's it. And then we run into, you know, the greatest team money can buy. And, you know, obviously they had a lot of homegrown talent as well with Leach and some other guys, Mike Richter, but, but Mike Richter's fantastic. He's the only reason they won that cup. He played out of his goddamn mind in that game seven. But, um, you know, it's like – why would we go get the guy who beat us? We're supposed to hate his face. And people in Vancouver still do, by the way, yeah. when they were like putting it, they put out like a Rogers ad a few years ago and somebody yeah, voted. No, him like, Why would you try to sell us Rogers through this guy? We hate him. Like he yeah. unretired Wayne Mackey's number 11 without the family's permission. And the guy died of brain cancer. 
you know, and you're unretire as number 11. And then Trevor Linden voluntarily gives up the captaincy. And with Keenan's our coach who beat us and Messier's the captain, like this is bullshit. I was immediately out and I love Beret and I love McGillney, but boy, was I ever pissed that we got Messier. I was so upset. Um, well, you know, it's one of those things. Like, I don't know why we did it. Maybe it's just one of those, like, we don't really know how to run the franchise I, in a I lot of times in our history. So. I have a yes. theory. There's, so this, I pardon the diversion in the basketball for a minute. There's a oh, coach. <laughs> there's a coach in uh, the NBA who currently coaches the Clippers. His name is Doc Rivers. You've probably heard of him because oh, I know he, Doc Rivers, yeah. won, he won a championship with the Celtics. The yes, joke used to be until like last year or two years ago when he, he used to be the general manager, or sorry, not the general manager, but the president of basketball operations for the Clippers as well. And the joke was that he wanted to sign every single player who played well against the uh, his Celtics team to contracts. <laughs> And so I wouldn't a team of old rock. Yeah, so the old guys who were no longer any good, but also like who just played well against the Celtics, right? So like he'd like watch the play against the Celtics, but like, he's good. Or, like never see another game of the guy and give the guy a contract. Yeah. Uh, again later, and of course everyone was older because you know every it's it's years later now. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in Vancouver was like Keenan, like out coached us. Let's get Keenan. Yeah. Messier like did so well, even though Messier is like almost forty at this point. Yeah, uh, like Messier played really well. Let's go get Messier. You know, it, it wouldn't be surprising with the same syndrome. You know, like uh, this guy played well against us years ago. Let's sign him. Yeah, I was I, I was furious the day we signed him. I was so pissed. I'm like, this is gonna suck. Somebody's like, well, what if what if Messier's awesome and he wins you a cup? Like, it's gonna feel tainted. Yeah. And I remember like a couple of years ago when Lucic was a free agent, the Oilers ended up signing him, and everybody's yeah. like, oh, Vancouver might make a pitch. I'm like. If we sign him, I swear to God, I'm gonna go through the whole like black hole thing again. Like, well, fortunately, you didn't. Know. Well, thank God, because I mean, like, he was so done at that point. Like, why yeah. were you gonna? But so was Messier. Well, not done, but like he was still a useful, like decent player. But like, what an asshole. <laughs> oh, anyway. Uh, anyway, let's let's get off the Messier thing. <laughs> I've crapped on him enough. Eventually, we're going to get to him if we keep doing this podcast long enough. By the time we're like both 40, we'll get to Messier, and then I'll be able to really crap on him. Actually, I'll probably have to admit that he was great, actually, as a player. And, mm, that's right. <laughs> well, I just trailed him there. <laughs> so, uh, the, the, you know... Uh, Bignoli known for having scored 76 goals once, and he's one of only six players to ever do that. The others yeah. being Solani, uh, Hall, Lemieux, um, uh, Gretzky, obviously. Uh, am I missing somebody? I don't think so. Um, anyway, uh, wait, we Boston, know. Uh, uh, Brett Hall. Yeah, yeah. I, I, said Hall. I said Hall. Oh, did you? Okay, sorry, I didn't hear it. And then, of course, he scored 55 goals, at least 55 goals twice. And only one of 15 players ever. And then he drops off the face of the earth to like 40 goals three times, um, which of course lots of people have done. So that's the thing. He had like two great seasons. And then all these other seasons, some of which were okay. And some of them, again, he never played the full season in his career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know what? I, I actually want to make the point that um, the year that he scored 76 goals, he only played 77 games. Uh, Solani played the full eighty-four, uh, full eighty-four, because that was yeah. the one, the one of the only seasons they had eighty-four games. So, McGillney actually, I 
think by that metric probably won the scoring championship. <laughs> Uh, actually, everybody loves Timo and the, the throwing the glove off and the hot dog, you know, shooting the glove thing. So everybody like likes to see that one more a little bit. But he's not I, black ink for the goals per game. So somebody else had more goals per game. Now the qualifier really? is lower. Is it might only be half a season or something, or might be a certain number yeah. of goals. So I'm going to look that up right now to see who uh, who led the league in goals per game that year. Because the fact that he's he didn't. Oh, Lemieux. 1.15. Wow. <laughs> so how many yep. that was, was that the year that he that he only played like 60 games, right? And he scored I think like, so, yeah, because that was the year he had cancer and he he still came back and won the scoring yeah. championship. So he scored, Lafontaine scored, played like 30 uh, more games. Three points per game that year, limited. Or sorry, not three, almost three. Wow. Um, yeah. Well uh, that one, that one, um, I, I remember that that like night that they were like Lemieux just had a cancer treatment, like his last one earlier today, he's playing tonight. And then he scored. You're just like, dude, are you like, what, are, what kind of person are you? <laughs> just like, man, I can't wait till we get to the Lemieux one. That's going to be really fun. Cause well, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually broadcasting this right from his neighborhood. I live about three blocks away from his childhood home. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I live in Villemard where he's from and down at the old, uh, the local Delalos, where they serve probably the best burger in Montreal. There's like lots of signed photographs and him hanging out with the owners. And he used to play for the Villemart Hurricanes and they used to go eat there all the time. Pretty neat. Yeah. It's like an old part of Montreal that nobody really thinks of, but yeah. it's kind of cool. So, anyway, I mean, any other year, Bray would have, if Bray McGillney would have had, uh, like, he would have led the league in goals per game with oh, 0.9. Yeah. Lemieux went crazy. Um, so then one of the, uh, aside from the consistency knock, the other knock against McGillney is the lack of playoff success, even though he won yes. a cup, uh, even though he won a cup and, uh, in his early seasons with, um, is a season with Buffalo, the one where he broke his legs, so only played yeah. seven out of the, cause they swept the Bruins and then got swept by the Canadians. I think the Canadians won three of those games in overtime. Yeah. Cause that was the year the Habs went overtime crazy. Um, yeah. He played in seven of the games. He had seven goals, seven assists. Uh, sorry, wait, hang on. No, that is correct. He played seven games. He had seven goals and three assists for 10 points. Yeah. In, you know, I mean, you're only in the playoffs for seven games. You have 10 points. Like, it's not yeah. like the guy was disappearing or anything. Yeah, no, no, that was his best um, year. Best year. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is, it's like that's, then he broke his leg. And then obviously, like, he kind of trailed off a bit after that. But he still has good playoff years after that. And the thing is, like, his, his playoff success came primarily with the Devils. Yes. Who was not playing. Like, he was playing second-line minutes with the Devils. Yeah, and, and, and for the Devils, the thing is, too, that's in 2000, 2001. That's the height of the clutch and grab. And he still scored 16 points in 25 games. Like, that's pretty good production. That's yeah. not bad. It was much better year that year. The previous yeah. year, he did not have a great year when they won the Cup. No, he did not. No. Points in 23 games is not good. Oh, that was the year they lost to the Avs, right? Uh, the year he had 16 points is the year they lost to the Avs, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So, But, I mean, he's still a really important player. Yeah. I mean, that's – it's yeah, in those thing. days, it was really hard to get that many points in yeah. that era because every game finished like two – 2-1, or if it was a barn burner, 4-3. <laughs> I, really I have a memory of – so the year that the Leafs went to the conference finals in 2002, in which he had 11 points in 20 games, I have a memory of him scoring a hat trick in one game. 
Wow. And like prolonging, like the series. Uh, what's, yeah, this uh, was that against the Islanders. I think I feel like it was against the Islanders, um, where he scored a hat trick. Where like basically like, and everyone was sort of like, oh, like Sandin was hurt, right? Sandin was not playing. That's and, right. Yeah. And I just remember like people saying like McGillan's really got to step up and like you know because he led the. I think that was the year. It was the next year he led the team in points. But anyway, he was you know he was finally even though he was in his mid his early thirties, he was supposed to finally be the. The winger that Sunday always needed. Of course, they went out and got someone who was old. But yeah, well, that's what um, they did back then. It was like, yeah, yeah. oh, what can we move for this old guy? A first round pick? Yes, they're valueless. <laughs> I just, I'm, uh, I just remember um, there was one game after Sundin got hurt where like it wasn't looking good. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to like. While I like talk, I'm trying to like find which game it was. Mm. Um, came in and I believe he scored a hat trick. And uh, I can't say I remember it. And it's like I, I know I watched a lot of playoff hockey back in those yeah. days. Um, but I, I can't remember was, the specific game. Yeah, I thought it was uh, game five, but uh, he did score in game five. He just didn't uh, didn't score a hat trick in game five. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, my memory was that he. Uh, that he, it might not have been it might not have been against the Islanders. It might have been against uh it might have been the next round. Anyway, um I just remember like at least one game he was like absolutely the most important player on the Maple Leafs. But the problem yeah. was, of course, he wasn't or maybe I'm thinking game seven. He had two goals in game seven. Oh wow. You know what? Okay. That's what it was. Yeah. I in my mind, you know, this happens yeah. with memory. Like we distort things, and you know it is bet, almost twenty years. <laughs> I bet it was this game, the game seven against the Islanders, um, four two, and McGillney had two two of the goals. Uh, so that's probably what I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, because he was playing on that line with uh, Gary Roberts and Alan McCauley because uh, Matt was uh, yeah hurt. Anyway, um, like the so one he, you know, time he got hurt too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. and then when he came back, they couldn't get their chemistry right. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, so he, you know, he, but the thing is, McGillney was old at this point and, and it was, yeah. uh, and he, you know, he, he'd been hurt most of his career off and on. And, uh, so, I mean, I don't know if it's that surprising. He also was on two bad teams prior to the Devils and the, and the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that makes sense why he wasn't always in the playoffs though. It's, it's just weird that he didn't have like these like really important, um, you know, like it's one of the things you can say against him is he's never the best forward on a team that advanced to either the you know semifinals or the or the cup final. Um, but the other thing we got to talk about is because he defected, he, and then he never went back. Like after the USSR ended, he and to my knowledge, he didn't play internationally for them anymore. Yeah, all his international experience is before the defection. And that means he was young. Um, he played one game for Moscow Spartak in 94-95 during the lockout. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And he had one assist. <laughs> um, but yeah, like really in, in terms of the like Olympics, you know, he he played he was a role player on an Olympic on an Olympic champion because he was like 17 years old or something. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. he was a role player on a world champion because again, he was like 18 or 17 years old. But he did he was 
even though they didn't win the World Juniors in 88, he was awarded best forward of the tournament, and he was the best player on that team. So it's not like he didn't show up. It's just that he was mostly playing with guys who were older than him when he was playing internationally. And so that's it's a big – I don't know what to do with that because the thing is, had he played with Team Russia later – Maybe, you know, maybe those numbers, maybe his things look better, right? Like, uh, maybe, uh, maybe if he goes, he plays with Russia like Bure did later, maybe he, uh, maybe he has better international numbers. And then maybe we're like, we're talking about, I don't know, his, 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 we can like use that to rationalize more that he, he just didn't have the opportunity in the NHL when he was in his prime. Yeah. And you know, what's another really interesting to, to note for him too because um, we're talking about his international career. Um, he was one of the players uh, who played at the um, who played at the uh, the punch up in Piastani. Yeah. The famous one where they turn out the lights. Yeah. Because all the players are just brawling on the ice in Canada, basically gives up a shot at a gold medal to have a fight with the Russians. Yeah. And McGillney was part of that team yeah. um, for the Russians, uh, which I did not know until today. I didn't know that and either. if I start to go through the number of players that you'll recognize as NHL names, it's insane. <laughs> so all these guys uh, so, were denied a, a chance at a medal basically because of this fight. Yes, Canada Canada was because uh, the Russians hadn't done that well in that tournament. Oh, okay. But if I start reading off the names of people who uh, made the NHL, you will be shocked. Like it's ridiculous. It's yeah. uh, So on the Russian side, McGilney, Fedorov, Valery Zelopukhin, uh, Dmitry Medvedev, uh, Alexander Galchenyuk, which may be Alex Galchenyuk's dad, who's now in the NHL. Yeah. Um, uh, Vladimir Konstantinov, Vladimir Malahov. Uh, so that's like a good six solid yeah. NHLers. Some of them all stars. Some of them like yeah. you know, it's pretty impressive. And then yeah. on the Canadian side, it's even more ridiculous. You got Greg Hoggood, who was like you know played in the NHL for a good number of solid years. Um, Glenn Wesley. Steve Chieson, uh, Luke Richardson, uh, Theo Fleury, Mike Keane, uh, Pat Elianuk, um, Brendan Shanahan, Pierre Turgeon, and Jimmy Waite was the goalie. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, like that is a that is a serious list right there. There's multiple yeah. Hall of Famers in that huge brawl. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, it is, it is. A very interesting side note, but it had to be mentioned as soon as I saw his name yeah. in that list. So, yeah, I mean, so I mean, yeah, if he had a, well, that doesn't that specific thing doesn't necessarily deny him. No, that does not help his case at all. Yeah, but like, <laughs> that is not the, really interesting. The fact that he didn't play for Russia again afterwards really yeah. hurts. Yes, you know it his really international hurts. stats. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, should we move on to Bray? I think we should. Uh, oh, are we going to we'll, take a vote on McGill yeah, yet? Should, I, I, I feel like we should run through his stats a little bit more, like just any of his, like, should we run through his career accomplishments a little bit more? Does he have any that are of note? Well, he led the um, league in goals once, uh, and yeah. he was top 10 three times. Um, and uh, he was top four, top 10 four times in goal three games. Um, and he was top five in points per game once, and he was top 10 in points twice. So, I mean, those are, there are people in the hall who have done that. Yes. Um, 
or who've done even less. Uh, yeah. I don't. I. I really. I don't know what to do with him. Me I'm, neither. <laughs> very ups- I'm very upset because I want to just say like, oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Go, but I don't. Know. It, it's. It, I think it's the peaks and valleys that make him. It's like it, it's so. They're so big, right? Yeah. There's like one year. You know, if you if you, um, it's like literally his very best points per game season is almost three times his worst, you know? And it's just like, that's like, yes, there's guys who probably had like a year where like they scored 0.9 points per game. Cause like, I don't know, they're playing with Mamiu or something. Right. But like, he just, McGillney wasn't that. Yeah. McGillney had LaFontaine in his best year, but when he was, you know, he also had years where he was, one of the best, well, one of the best forwards in the league when he wasn't playing with Lafontaine. You know, he was playing with Burray, who may have been hurt, but also when he was playing with Mats, right? Like he didn't, yeah. um, he didn't always, uh, um, you know, he wasn't necessarily riding on someone's coattails. Uh, but then on the other hand, he had these years where he was just like not great, even given the era. And I, I don't know, uh, I'm not sure. Like I don't. I used to feel more strongly that it should be in when I was younger, but yeah. like, you know, in the interest of trying to make the hall of fame a little more exclusive, I'm not sure. And honestly, like I do kind of worry that like, I, I can see both sides on the one hand. I, I worry that if like he's inducted, you know, it sort of opens the door a little bit to some other people who had like what you could theoretically say one good year, even though I had three. Um, but they're three relative to the league, right? Like they don't, the numbers don't pop off. He only had one year where we were scoring 120 something points. Um, on the other hand, you know, he, can you really have a guy who scored 76 goals in a single season? Like you said, in 77 games, can that guy not be in the hall of fame? Like do you yeah. want that guy not to be in the hall of fame? I don't, I don't know. know. It's, it's one of those things. It's so tricky because. I'm I'm a guy who favors um, short-term brilliance, especially if it's cut short by injury yeah. over prolonged um, goodness. Yeah. However, if the goodness is is like just a, a you know a little bit below elite, but you do it forever, then I'm big time in favor of you getting in. So it kind of got like a weird sort of thing going on. But like to me, goodness prolonged is just like yeah, you had a great career, good good for you, but you should not be in the hall. But if it's like you're you're not quite elite, but man, you just did it forever. Like we knew, like <clears throat> Sundin, you just say like, oh, he never really led the league in goals. He never like, but like he's just so consistent yeah. at like just there was no break off. It's like yeah, that should be that's like you know what you're getting every day when you get out of bed, sort of thing. You know, you're gonna have the yeah. same breakfast every day, and it's like that should be rewarded. Yeah. But to me, it's like the peaks and valleys, guys. It's like well, if it's because of injuries. And I think for McGillney, there's a large part of that is due to injury. I think you have to look at how great he was when he was really healthy and then sort of say, like, did he do that spectacular thing often enough to get him in? Yeah. You know, how many times did he score over 50 goals? I think in his case, only twice, right? Yeah, twice. Yeah. And I mean, one of them 76 and it's bonkers, but he's also playing with Patty LaFontaine, who – except for Mario with cancer, who's the greatest player in the NHL. I would say that year anyways. He was phenomenal that year. Um, It's like, 
I, I, I'm right on the fence. I just, I really don't know what to say because he, he sort of fits the kind of guy I want to put in because of the brilliance. But I don't know that he was brilliant often enough to want to put him in. Yeah. Like yeah. when you when you compare him to Burray, then you're going to look at a lot more years of 50 goals and playing with pretty much nobody's at exactly. It's so, so much easier with Burray. Yeah. Uh, I, and there's no question with, well, sorry, spoiler yeah. alert. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, like with McGilney, it's just like you look in there some years, you're like, yeah, for sure. This a player who did that in that season should be in the Hall of Fame. And then you look at another season, and you're like, what? And then you look at like, you know, you look at like that year the Devils won the Stanley Cup, and he just like he had seven points in 20 something games. And you're like, yeah. this is you weren't there. You didn't yeah. really show up. You know, you're you're supposedly one of the offensive stars of that team. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I don't know. I mean, I could be talked into either either direction, I think. I think so too. Yeah, I think I think you can. He's one of the he's one of our guys where we make a case for him, and we sort of don't know what to do with him. And uh, this is where maybe we need a three person podcast to cast yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I I don't know. He's he's a tricky case because while brilliant, he didn't do it very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, what, that's, and that's why I was trying to bring up that game, which turned out to be two goals and not a hat trick. Because I felt like there were games in when he was on the lease where you're like, this guy is incredible. And there were other games you forgot he was playing. Um, and not not in that good way because he's being smart, but just because like he doesn't he hasn't like shot the puck in forever, and you're just like yeah. the, like McGillney's on the team? All right. You know, he also looked he also looked old and he had back problems uh when he's on yes. the lease. Um, yeah. which probably had a lot to do with sometimes him seemingly disappearing, but I just, that was my, my memory of McGillney is when he was on the lease. And that memory is of being like in all of him, some games, fewer games than more games. And in other games being like, like, I wish, I wish he was like, like just consistent, you know, I wish he'd, he'd be there every game. And I don't know the reason I'm not sure to trust that, that that eye test that feeling is because I don't know if he wasn't showing up because of effort or because he was just hurt all the damn time. Which, but unlike some other players, tried to play through it. I don't know. I feel like he was a guy who was hurt a lot. Um, he was hurt a lot. Obviously, he never played a full season. I remember him at the end of his career having groin problems, like in a pretty big way. So yeah. I, don't, I don't. I have no idea if that's factual or not. That's just memory telling me that I not look up, but. I feel like he had, you know, sort of those nagging injuries all the time. And it's, you know, I'd see him like, you know, on the bench stamping his foot, trying to like, oh, this is going to fix it. Like, you know, it's like, was he really hurt all the time or was he, was he just, you know, ah, it's it's really hard to say with him. If, if I found out that he played hurt a lot of his career, in addition to missing all that time, I would probably be like, he's in. My I, I would say so. Like I, I think anytime he was on the ice healthy, he like those big seasons, I feel like that's when he was really healthy, obviously, because yeah. he played the most games those years. But yeah. you know, like was he ever really healthy? Like yeah. what was his issue? I, I would like to find out more. I feel yeah. like the Gilney fans might sort of want to put that out there, but I've never heard anything from him or from Anybody yeah. who played with him saying, like, dude, the guy always played hurt. Like, you would think it would come out at this point, right? Like, we can't help, you know, or at least I can't help being slightly that slightly xenophobic Canadian hockey fan and thinking, well, he's Russian. 
you know so <laughs> maybe maybe it just was like he just didn't care all the time like sometimes he did oh, well you know that's i think we say about that every rush about that every russian player just no, like, no i know that's what i mean and and the yeah. thing is unless unfortunately unless he you know was leaked at some point that yeah he actually played hurt for most of his career yeah you know i don't think that's going to replace you know most people are going to assume that well he's russian and so when he was playing <laughs> and he had those years where he was only scoring 0.22 goals per game instead of 0.9 or 0.7, yeah. uh, that he was just, it was a lack of motivation. But who knows? Anyway, well, you, we've you been talking I mean, about forever. We're talking about lack of motivation for McGillney. He comes over from Russia, goes to Buffalo. No, I know. <laughs> like, no. How do they convince him to be like, he's like Siberia. You will enjoy weather. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do, they, how do they talk him into that? And then, you know, he plays in Buffalo, plays with a great player, goes to Vancouver, and he had to be talked into going to Vancouver big time because he had a huge fear of flying, like oh, massive. Yeah. And yeah. any game that he played when he was with the Sabres, he used to drive. Oh, I didn't know that. Except for the West Coast games, obviously. But anything yeah. that was within driving range, let's say under 10 hours, he would drive his car. He's like, no, I'm not getting on a plane. Yeah. And so when he moved to Vancouver, Vancouver, you have to fly to every single yeah, yeah. game. Nothing is within driving range. Even Calgary is not really within driving range. So you're like, you got to fly to every game. And that was a big sticking point with him. He's like, I don't know if I can do it. And like, they kind of had to talk him into it. And like, apparently that he'd have to like sit and play cards with his buddies to relax. Like he, it was a big thing with him. Yeah. So to me, a guy who doesn't have much motivation and he yeah. still goes out to Vancouver to play and like. No, you're right. That's play. a really good point. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's one of it's an interesting thing. I happen to know about McGillney that he's a really nervous flyer and I have that myself as well. So I kind of understand a little bit, but for me, it's like you could have chosen to go to anywhere on the East coast, but you chose to go to Vancouver because you actually thought you might do well out there. Cause Pavel was out there. You played with him before, you know, you might have a, like Vancouver had a pretty decent team back then. Like you might be able to put them over the top. Like to me, that says like he did want to win, and he did end up winning with the Devils. Maybe you know, maybe dragged his ass through that playoffs, hurt just to say like, "Hey, I was here, I won the cup," kind of thing. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really hard to say. There's not a lot of there's not a ton of information about their McGillney um, as well, compared to some private. other NHL players. I think he's very private. What's that? I think he's very private. Yeah, which you know, all, all the better to him, but might might not help him build his case for the Hall. Yeah. Um, I don't so, know. It's very, it's really hard to say that he shouldn't be in because, but I think if you look at that line too, and you look at Fedorov and Burry, you say he probably is the least great player on that line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, if you're not as great as Burry and Fedorov, you're probably still pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's a uh, it's a really tough one with him just because the consistency is just not there. So. Uh... That's a good segue, I guess. Yes. To uh, the other guy on that line, uh, Bray, who uh, played way fewer games than McGillney, 700, but who was far more consistent, at least when he was healthy. Um, and uh, though, you know, he, he managed to score 437 goals, which puts him fourth directly behind McGillney amongst Russians while only playing 700 games. Um, and he's. Uh, he is fifth all time in goals per game to this day, uh, which yes. is crazy. And obviously, that makes him the first Russian. And he's twenty fourth in points per game. So both in both. Ooh, of the I think of 
has Ovechkin eclipsed him or is, uh, uh, is yeah, probably actually, I don't know when I, no, I did this this year. Um, I think I did recently I did, I did 24th in points per game total. Yeah. Uh, that's uh-huh. probably higher than that. I don't know. Yes. Um, no, no, but, I was thinking about the goals per game. Oh, I, I don't, I have no idea. Uh, I, I remember, I remember years ago looking at it and people used to, cause before Beret got in, I would try to make his case and my friends would always argue against me to be jerks. And I would say like, pretty sure he's third all time in goals per game. And it's like, I think it was bossy Lemieux and then Beret. And I'm yeah, just like, he was, pretty good but, company. But he's fifth. <laughs> yeah. It probably means Ovechkin is ahead of him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't, I didn't write down who was ahead. Um, I would assume it's, actually, it's got him, right? Yeah. Uh, the site I'm looking at says Burry's ahead of Ovechkin at the moment, but um, I sorry. Now I'm gonna now I have to do some research. Um, I will I will uh, tell us everybody in one minute. I just need to find the right thing to click on. Oh yeah, um, Ovechkin sixth. I've got it right here. Oh yeah, because this includes uh, Babe Die. Oh, the old timers. They don't, those don't count. So Burry's third. <laughs> well, they, they they make the uh, you know hockey references cut off, but uh, yeah, that's cut off is very specific and complicated. Mm-hmm. It says certain number of goals, certain number of games, and there's anyway. Um, anyway, he was one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. Uh, he was famous. He was drafted twice, wasn't he? Or was he just no? Drafted he was once? drafted. Um, I'll I'll tell you the full story. Um, so. Uh, Burray was picked in the sixth round, 113th overall of the 1989 NHL uh, entry draft, which is held in Dallas. In uh, well, uh, sorry, not Dallas. It was before they moved to Dallas. <laughs> it's the Minnesota North Star. So it was in uh, Bloomington, uh, Minnesota. Um, and uh, if you look on the website for well, the Wikipedia website for the '89 draft, you'll see that it says uh, at the very top uh, where they have the picture of it: the 1989 annual Congress. End entry draft. <laughs> like there's a typo in the in the poster almost. Uh, it looks pretty crappy. Um, but you know, it's the late 80s. It's kind of what the NHL did. Yeah. Um so the uh NHL entry draft goes along. The Red Wings have probably the greatest draft of all time. They take Lidstrom in the third round. I think Mike Sillinger was in the first. They take um Vladimir Konstantinov in like the 10th or 11th round. Uh, they take um, uh, Sergei Fedorov in the fourth round, I believe. Um, so they're loading up on the Soviets, right? And so they also get uh, Bob Bugner so, and Dallas Drake as well. Yeah. So, like, I mean, they're like full on, like, legit, awesome NHLers, right? Who have substantial long careers. Um, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to think of a draft that's more impressive than that. Got a couple of Hall of Famers in there, and like I yeah. think Konstantinov probably would have been a Hall of Famer had he not been horribly injured in that accident. Yeah. Um, so Burry gets selected by the Canucks in uh, the sixth round. And the pick was very controversial, and there's no video of this because they didn't use to televise the draft. Yeah. But apparently, teams were like, rah, 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 like kind of like you know that South Park thing, rabble, 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 rabble. Right. Everybody gets really upset because yeah. they drafted him, and every team that had inquired about him and told like he is not eligible. And everybody knew this because a Russian back then 
to be selected in the later rounds had to have played a certain number of international games. Yeah. And if not, you had to spend a top three pick on him. So meaning you had to pick him in the first three rounds. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anybody could have chosen Burray in the first three rounds. That was totally on the table. Yeah. But to be selected any later than that, he had to have played in at least two seasons with a number, a minimum number of 11 games per season okay. for his elite level Soviet club, Central Red Army. Okay. Um, most teams believed he was ineligible because they had the number of games. But the Canucks head scout at the time, Mike Penny, we should make sure we mention him to give him credit. Um, he found out through, I believe, through Igor Larionov that Burray had actually played in some additional exhibition and international games. Okay. And Larionov had or had access to the score sheets to prove that, yeah, he did play. Okay. And Larionov knew it, like for a fact. Yeah. Um, so he would be eligible to be a late round draft choice that year, okay. uh, a year early, because uh, the next year he would be eligible to be drafted yeah. a year like sort of like McGillney and Fedor uh, Fedorov and those kind of guys. Yeah. Um, so, you know, basically everybody said, yeah, we would have taken earlier, but we just assumed he wasn't eligible. So why wouldn't, you know, we would have taken him in the fourth round, but we didn't think he was eligible. So why waste a pick? The Canucks did their homework and, you know, you got to give them credit kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently the, the Red Wings had inquired to league vice president Gil Stein as to Burry's supposed availability before their fifth round pick, um, which would have given them three picks in a row of Lindstrom, Fedorov, and Burry, <laughs> which would have been basically unfair. Yeah. Um, but they were told he's not eligible because the league didn't know those draft sheet, the, those, uh, those games that happened, those, those game, uh, those game sheets existed. Yeah. Um, uh, and so then uh, the Red Wings, they're the, their European scout, uh, a guy named Krista Rockstrom, insisted that the, the Wings just select him while he was still available in the fifth round. But yeah. when they're told that he's ineligible, they selected a guy named Sean McCosh instead. Whoops. Then the Red Wings said, okay, well, we didn't take him this round. We took the guy, the other guy we liked. We're taking him for sure, no matter what, in the sixth round. And apparently Vancouver knew this, and they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll just snag him in like the eighth round or something. And then they heard like across the draft floor, like, yeah, Detroit's totally going to take him, or Detroit was asking about him. And they said, oh, crap, we got to take him. And so the Canucks took him three picks ahead of Detroit's turn. So, like, Detroit could have had those three picks in a row. And yeah. basically, what, four Hall, of four Hall of Famers in one draft pretty much? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So um, so that's kind of the story as it goes. And apparently, like, when the Canucks select him, everybody else went ape shit because they're like – you're not allowed to take him. He's not eligible until next year. And then I think what the NHL said was they went up to the podium to calm everyone down and went up to I, this being televised would have been absolutely incredible. <laughs> and then the NHL went up to the podium and said, if he is not eligible, Vancouver forfeits this pick. Like they wasted it basically. And everybody went, Oh, okay. And then Vancouver provided the score sheets and they said, yeah, he's eligible. You get him. <laughs> so, so they kind of hoodwinked the rest of the NHL through a little bit of insider info, maybe in the same way that McGillney got picked too, right? Um, yeah, I don't which know. Is kind of a nice. I, I but you like said I, I don't really remember the, the documentary, but I feel like there was something Buffalo knew something that other teams didn't with McGillney. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the same way with Vancouver, even though Detroit almost beat them to the punch just by taking a chance and saying, like, yeah, he's eligible. Be like, is he eligible? And the NHL says, nah, he's not. And then Vancouver takes him, like, Detroit must have been friggin' furious at the time. Right. I mean, it worked out okay for them, obviously. But, I mean, imagine they had added Beret, too. They would have been bloody unstoppable. Yeah. yeah. So, 
speaking about that draft, it was it was a I mean it has a few Hall of Famers in it. It sure does, yeah. It's a good draft. But it's not quite as like top end heavy as as uh, McGillney's. No. Right? Because it's like you got a lot of players who played a long time, but the number of like elite players is way fewer, right? Yes. Like there's like in the McGillney draft, there's like I don't know, what did I say? There were like six people with a thousand points or something. Yeah. And this one has three. Yeah. Um now obviously Bray is not counted among those, but like the drop off is like, you know, Matt's Sergey Fedorov, Lidstrom, Garen, Bray are the top five, and then like Bobby Holik, who was a good player, but more of a defensive player, and then yeah. Robert Reichel, and then we're down to Stu Barnes and we're in like that's the top eight. Yeah, and then we're into the goalies, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, I wasn't even including goalies. Uh, yeah, well, we've got to remember Vladimir Konstantinov too, because that wasn't, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, he was he was elite when he was horribly named by that shitty limo driver who was high and drunk. So yeah, um, it's, it's worth noting that he was. I think at that point we would recognize he was an elite NHL defenseman. He was kind of the Russian Scott Stevens. Like he was yeah. just you stepped across the blue line, you had your head down, you were getting destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's that, right? Yeah. But but basically, Bray Bray's the best goal scorer from the draft. Obviously, it goes with that yes. saying, um, and was one of the best players. I mean, it's basically forward wise. I think it's probably in terms of peak, it's between him and Fedorov. Uh, obviously, Matt just played for forever compared to them. Um, but like, I mean, as we talked about with Matt, the I I think the best player probably is is Lidstrom. Yes, I I, I think we can all agree with that because he's Nicholas yeah. Lidstrom. Um, yeah. And then I think, you know, the next player, we can have a debate between Bure, Fedorov, and Matt Sundin and have yeah. a very healthy debate, I think, with those. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say Lindstrom far and away. So, uh, era-wise, uh, this, is, this is where Bure, I feel like this is where it gets, uh, Bure is very impressive. So hundreds of players played at least 500 games uh, between 91 and 2003, of course. Yes. Bure is fifth in goals among all of them. Wow. There's a couple hundred. He is first in goals per game. He is not worth mentioning in assists. <laughs> 22nd in points. 22nd in points despite playing only 700 games and seventh in points per game. Um, so and and also worth noting, 10th in offensive point shares again despite playing 700 games when everyone else was playing. A lot of other people were playing way more than that. So I mean, he really stands out. The fact that he was fifth in goals despite playing way fewer games than so many other people is just, you know, this is a time when people were healthy and played for a really long time. Yeah. And and he still, like, managed to, uh, you know, score an absolute, you know, he, obviously he didn't make 500, but the, he, he only played 700 games. Um, but he really did. I mean, he really stands out. He has his 82 game average is better than McGillney's by a few points, 91 points in 82 games, and yeah. three year peak is 105 in 82. And he's also helped by adjusting for errors up to 96 in 82 games, which is quite impressive if you adjust for error. And that, of course, because he, uh, you know, he he is not someone who is affected by clutch and grab at least when he was healthy in terms of his scoring. Yeah, and you have to remember how many knee surgeries the guy had too, multiple. Um, and his playoff. Basically, any anytime he got his knee healthy, he was like, "It's it's really funny too." Because um, I remember when Connor McDavid came in, 
and I think it was Darren Dreger, um, was one of those TSN guys was on the radio one day and he's like, I don't, you know, I, this is going to sound like hyperbole, but Connor McDavid like sort of has the hockey sense of a Gretzky, sort of the um, ability of, you know, a Mario Lemieux or like a, you know, sorry, it was the skating of a, of a Bobby Orr where his just skating is just like so much better than somebody else. And he's like, and he kind of handled the puck at really high speeds and has that like break, breakaway ability of like a Pavel Burr. And he's like, I just, I can't even say enough good stuff about him. And I was like, wow, that is a pretty impressive set of skills to have. Yeah. Compared him to numerous like excellent Hall of Famers, like the best of that position. He's like, he kind of does all those things. And it's like, wow, like, and then when I watched Connor McDavid play and saw him break away from people with that, like, this otherworldly skating, I'm like, he kind of does remind me of Beret. Like, if he gets a step on you, you're dead. <laughs> like, it's just, it's that you can't keep up with the guy. Like, it's just, Beret was like that. It was like, if you were, like, as a defenseman, if you were even with him and he was standing still, you were dead. Like, he was just so good off a stop start. And yeah. it was like two strides and he's at full speed. Just couldn't believe how fast the guy was. It's unbelievable. Um, and I remember seeing there's a there, his he has this famous rookie card because he he defected while he was in the United States, and so he was hanging out in California, trying to get up to Vancouver where they drafted him. But of course, there's all kinds of you know the, the immigration stuff, and yeah. you know the Americans dealing with the Soviets, and you know you better give him back. Well, we're not going to do that. <laughs> you know all kinds of stuff like that back in those days. And there's like uh, Beret's rookie card, his upper deck rookie card is him wearing a pair of rollerblades as he hangs out in California right after he defected. Um, and he's like sitting on a railing in like rollerblades and like a pair of like, you know, those really popular 80s spandex bike shorts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm sure you remember. Yeah. Usually with the tiger trim or something neon on the side. So he's wearing like a pair of those like super, but like his, so his legs, since he's wearing shorts are really exposed. And they're friggin' gigantic. Like it's just no wonder he's so fast. Like he's his legs are like jacked. And sure enough, he comes into the NHL. He's like, holy crap, that guy is so fast. And it was more his. It wasn't necessarily his top speed the way some guys are. Like I think Fedorov won the fastest skater comp a bunch of times because his top speed was really good. He had yeah. these long strides. Yeah. Bray was just like a. From from stopped on a dime to a hundred, like just he was so quick, and that's kind of it's kind of like what McDavid does. Just like man, if you're if he's anywhere close to you and he's go he's already going, you're dead. Like you have no chance. Yeah. And you know it was. I think he was sort of a little bit ahead of his time in terms of skating or training or whatever he was doing. Yeah, so, or yeah. or he was just really really. Well, his um, yeah. his his father. Um, can't remember his first name right now. I'll look it up. But his father was an Olympic swimmer, so he had the athletic yeah. gene in his body for sure. He trained because of that too. Yeah, yeah. Um... So it's it's also worth noting as another contrast between Burry and McGillney that though Burry played way fewer playoff games, about half as many playoff games, he was well over a point per game. Uh, yeah. Like he didn't, he didn't drop off. Um, in the playoffs, no. In fact, there's not a single playoff run he had. Sorry, he only had one playoff run where he ever scored under a point per game in his entire career. 
And that yes. was his first season in the playoffs when he was 20. Yes. So when he made the playoffs, he was a point per game or better every season he was in. Unfortunately, he played for shitty teams. So <laughs> he only played. Shitty ever. Um, but I just, I think that's also worth mentioning is that like, you can really, you know, we're, we're on the fence with McGillian. You can see, you compare their like per game, per, per 82 game averages. You compare their playoff numbers. Like it's very clear that Bray was like another level um, yeah. to McGillian. So trades, two of them, uh, one of which he demanded, right? Yes. Uh, the first one was he was 27 years old and he was traded with Brett Hedigan, who was slightly older and a very young Brad Ferentz, uh, and a third rounder that didn't turn into anyone for Ed Jovanovsky, who was 22 and, uh, had been drafted number one overall, of course, who is a hot prospect, a 34 year old Dave Gagne, um, a 19 year old Mike Brown, not that Mike Brown, Maple Leafs fans, a different Mike Brown. <laughs> And, and a 23-year-old Kevin Weeks and a first-round pick. So a big trade. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine players and picks involved in it. Which is a lot. Even by today's standards, that's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, it makes – I mean, especially – I would I would say that it's impressive that Vancouver got as much back as they did, given that Burry was sitting at the season. Yeah. Um. It's I don't I mean I don't know. It's hard to know. It's hard for me to say who won it because of course Florida. Burry was great for Florida, but Florida sucked. Yeah. Um. On the other hand. Jovanovski came to the uh, Canucks and helped them be, you know, helped as as we were just talking about with McGillney, along with Morrison and other guys, helped be part of like a, you know, a, a version of the Canucks who were good for quite some time. Uh, obviously, you didn't get to where you wanted to be, but like yes. you were good for a while. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, um, and we're able to transition from one era to another while remaining good for. Most of that time, I think. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you have an opinion about who won the trade? Um, I don't know. Jovanovski was a really good player for Vancouver for a while. Uh, took some dumb penalties, sort of did some Jogo things every once in a while. Wasn't the most reliable defensively. But I figured that if Burry wasn't going to play for us, then I would say we definitely won the trade because we actually got something of value for him. Yeah. Um, Whereas yeah. it could have just been the longer it dragged on, the more you're just like, yeah, we'll give him to you for like a first rounder in a bad draft, and you end up with some guy named you've never heard of his name before. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I actually think I agree with you. I think that despite how good Bure remained for the the Panthers, which he was like, you know, he won two Rocket Richards for them. Um, I think the fact that he didn't want to play for the Canucks means that you guys got a lot back for for. Uh, the fact that he wasn't playing. I mean, yeah. Now you give up three players and a, a pick, but like, still, I mean, like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think you could sort of call it a wash, but I lean towards that you guys won. Well, I'm, I'm, the, th the thing, knowing that you weren't, he wasn't going to play for you, how long are you willing to sit him out 
and yeah. just you know i mean at that point he's not making any money right because once a player's like holding out it's like hey, you don't have to pay him like but yeah. you still own his rights it's like it's 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 really hard to say because you know what Bure provided yeah. but if he didn't want to play for the team don't you pretty much have to let him go just yeah. to another team and just get the best deal you can for him and i think that Bure's talent was um transcendental enough or unique enough that other teams would be like yeah we know you like we could have you over a barrel except that we know 16 other teams really want this guy and we would much rather have him than them so what do you want kind of thing you know like so i feel they must have shopped him around for a while and i feel like canucks management was smarter back then um than their current management so they might might have actually engaged multiple teams in a conversation rather than just talking to one and dealing them away for nothing um <laughs> um, they got a lot for him. Yeah, he did. was the the thing that's interesting um, is apparently like even as soon as he had been in Vancouver, um, he had been asking for a trade almost as soon as he showed up. Oh, really? um, yeah, it was it, uh, when he first arrived. I feel like maybe they they weren't giving him the right playing time. Oh, yeah. um, the the way just the, just the way they handled him i feel like they they sort of they didn't treat him the way that he was envisioning um but especially i know that this is a big story in um in 1994 when the canucks went on their their uh, their playoff run yeah and burry scored 16 goals that year in the playoffs like people were thinking if they go to seven he might actually break um he might actually break reggie's record yeah. like this like he's getting really close um and he was far and away the most important player on that team even though trevor linden was sort of the driving engine i'm not gonna let us lose kind of guy yeah. um and would sort of drag the team whenever they really needed it burry was like the game breaker and he was just like that he just uh he drove the other team i don't know because i'm not a rangers fan obviously but uh, from their perspective i remember john davidson saying um it was the beginning of the third period uh, of game seven and somebody fed Burry a pass and he almost split the D and somebody had to haul him down. And yeah. right before that, John Davidson had been saying like, you better keep an eye on Burry cause he's going to be looking for those passes and trying to get breakaways. And then sure enough, like five seconds later, he gets one and gets hauled down. He's like, I told you he's like a shark. He's just sitting there waiting. And blah, blah, blah. he was all really upset about it. Um, obviously having been the Rangers goalie for a while, he was, you know, one of those great Homer announcers. Um, but I remember uh during that playoff run and cherry talked about it at one point even on coach's corner and he was saying you know like people are saying pavel wants a new contract and they they uh, there was a story circulating in the media that he had threatened that he wouldn't play if they didn't give him a new contract while the playoff run was going on yeah and beret uh, when he finally retired ended up telling that story and saying like somebody in the Vancouver management made up that story to try to force his hand because he yeah. knew it would make him look really bad Yeah, to try to force his hand to accept whatever deal they'd already offered him or something like that. And he yeah. basically, they said he'd threatened not to play and it really pissed him off. No kidding. Um, no kidding. And he, he basically says, you know, I don't want to say who did it. He's like, but I was promised to be traded eventually. Like I was going to get traded, you know, if they kept doing stuff like this. Um, so, you know, by the time Pat Quinn and the people who like liked Pavel or were in Pavel's favor, um, 
found out about it, it was too late. It was already, it was already like the story was out there kind of thing. And so it like just pissed them off to no end. So I guess they basically said, eventually we'll deal you kind of thing. Like just keep yeah. playing, but we'll find a good deal for you. So who knows how many years that was going on behind the scenes, but yeah. Talk about mismanagement of a great player. Like just, yeah. who, who knows who screwed it up? Like it's all going to be hearsay. Right. Um, but all I know is Pavel played like, like he played, he never took a shift off in those playoffs. I'll tell you that. So yeah. it definitely wasn't like a, I'm going to withhold my services. In fact, and it's one of the things that it, today he would have been suspended for probably 10 games. Um, there's that famous clip where he hits uh, Shane Turla from uh, the Dallas stars. One of the greatest yeah. hockey nicknames of all time, by the way, Shane Chainsaw Turla. Um, <laughs> He, he was basically they, every, like basically the toughest guy on every line was supposed to go and hit Burray every time they got a chance. Yeah. And that series, they were just, the whole series was just hits. Like the first two games, they were just bombarding each other with hits because the, the Canucks back then were a, like a big team. Like they actually had a, a bunch of big guys. Um, and so they were just bombing each other into the boards and Burray kept getting hit, kept getting hit, hauled down. And it's, yeah, it's 94. It's the playoffs. You're going to let a little bit go. And then at one point, uh, I think he got hit. And as he was getting up, Shirley gave him another shot. And he was just like, all right, screw this. And he skated down the whole length of the ice. And Shirley got like, wasn't even looking in the faceoff dot. And Burray hits him with an elbow out of nowhere and knocks him right out. And everybody's like, oh, I guess we don't have to protect him anymore. <laughs> he kind of handled that himself. But like, it was like, the guy wasn't even looking. I mean, it's like, it was a cheap shot. There's no doubt. But it was kind of people were saying like, oh, I didn't know Russians did that. <laughs> like, like even Cherry basically didn't even admonish him for it. He's like, he's like you know, he kind of put it in his uh, Rock'em Sock'em as one of the highlights. He's like, here comes Burray with the mother of all elbows. <laughs> and he just knocks him out. And you're like, and Cherry is basically saying like, hey, he stood up for himself. Good for him. Like, yeah. really? Like, that's what we're condoning? He knocked him out. <laughs> kind of seems like, and I'm sure Dallas fans are living, but. You know, it's like he could kind of – he could hold his own. He wasn't – like he could hit guys. He could take a hit. He was – he had a little bit of an edge to his game that I think a lot of people appreciated. And in those playoffs, he played – like he played unbelievably. If he was a guy in a contract dispute and he played like that, like pretty impressive. Um, yeah. He definitely was not thinking about withholding his services, I don't think. Um so it's yeah. kind of crappy that, but Vancouver does a lot of dumb management stuff like that. So how many guys have left town, like with a bad sort of feeling in everybody's mouth it happens a lot in Vancouver. So, yeah. so, so the other trade um, is also, it, it doesn't have any big names in it, but mm -hmm. it's interesting in part because Burry would go on to only play, what do you play? Like 51 games total for the Rangers after yeah. it happened. But the Which trade is <laughs> yeah i mean like yeah obviously uh especially given the history but like i think you know right you know the the early 2000s rangers were like where like nhl players went to like kill their careers right they yeah i mean the rangers were just collecting like flurry lindros shanahan eventually you know like uh, anyway um yeah the crazy thing is so he was you know it was well known he had knee problems yes uh, you know, he 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 did actually manage to play in two full seasons, unlike McGillney did, but that's it. And then he missed more games, or sorry, three full seasons. But he, in between those three full seasons, he missed way more games than McGillney did. 
but the Rangers still gave up um, two prospects and three picks for yeah. him. At at he was almost thirty one years old, and he he had played. Um, you know, he, well, he actually would, had been relatively healthy for Florida. Yes. The, yeah. the thing that I find is fascinating about this trade is that, A, because he was so close to the end of his career, the Rangers literally got 50-something games out of him, and, B, somehow Florida got back five assets, Yep. all of which turned into literally nothing. <laughs> oh, Eric Nystrom and Igor Ulanov are names you recognize from around the NHL a little yeah, bit? Yeah, but, like, yeah. You traded no, and you got back, you know, like Eric Nystrom and uh, whose career high in goals for a single season is 16. Yeah, but I mean, it was a number 10 pick. So I'm just saying like. Oh, no, 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 I just mean like you, like it didn't, it basically, I am a big believer that there doesn't necessarily have to be a winner or a loser. It's possible to have two losers in a deal. <laughs> I think that this might be one of those trades because here you are trading a guy who a couple years ago won the Rocket Richard and you get five assets back and the results of them are uh, picks that you for some reason trade away because that you're the you're Florida and uh, Igor Ulanov um, who uh, scored a combined one goal for you for Florida. Man, you know what? That is, I I take everything back. I said about that being a tenth overall pick. That is a stinky draft. That's <laughs> really oh, bad. Draft? Oh yeah, it's horrible. Uh, Rick Nash goes first. Bo Meester yeah. goes third. Kari Lettinen was two. Um, Lupul goes yeah. seventh. Alexander Semin goes 13th, so I guess that would have been the best pick they could have made. Uh, uh, Cam Ward went 25th, and uh, I think Chris Higgins was up there somewhere. Chris Higgins is 14th. He was okay. Yeah. Duncan Keith goes 54th, obviously the best player in the draft. Yeah. And then the next notable player is Franz Nielsen, and there's literally nothing else. <laughs> like It is yeah. just Dennis Weidman goes in round eight. So in Florida's defense, they couldn't have necessarily – they probably didn't know. They could have that, taken Alexander Semin, and that's basically it. Yeah, <laughs> or they, Keith, if they'd known enough. They didn't necessarily know that they were trading uh, – no. they were getting picks from one of the worst drafts. No, they did not know that. Because they got uh, – sorry, uh, two of the three picks were from that draft, and then one was from the 2003. But that was yeah. a fourth-round pick. So, But all I mean to say is, like, they they gave up, you know, obviously no one could have known for sure that Burray had uh, only a season, a half a season or two-thirds of a season left in him, though they might have expected as much. But, yes. like, I mean, presumably, like, the knee, his career-ending knee injury happened afterwards. Yes. So, like, they're probably trying to trade him because they don't want to pay him, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and so they so they trade him, and then, yes, it's a rental price, I guess, but still, you get players, young players, and three picks, and the fact that they like, I just, I just think, I think nobody wins this, and and I think that had Bray played longer, it would have been a clear win for the Rangers, 
because I just think they gave up a lot and it ended up being like nothing. Like it's like, yes, you recognize some of the names, but like Nystrom never played for Florida. That was a that was trade they traded that pick, you know. Yeah. Um, and like the players they got back. I mean, one of them scored one goal. One of them didn't play for them. Like it's just, it's bad. Anyway, I know Barry was old and injured, but like it's still, it's like. Yeah. It's not, you didn't, I mean, and this could be just comment on Florida. I don't know. But like, woo. Yeah. Five assets and they amount to literally nothing. Like, ugh. anyway, I don't know. I don't know who the picks were. Uh, like the, the pick they traded to Calgary and the pick they traded to Atlanta. I don't know who they were traded for because I didn't look it up on pro sports transactions. But anyway, I just, I just think that, that trade is, that was, that's a bad trade. It just didn't yeah. work out well for anybody. So uh, Burry's got three awards. He he would have four if the NHL gave out an award for leading the league in goals prior to like 1997 or whenever they started. Yeah. So basically, basically, I think the year after he stopped scoring 58, 59 goals a year, then they put in the Rocket Richard Trophy because the Habs donated it. No, no, um, he, he won it twice. Oh, did he? Okay, perfect. So the, the, who was the first winner? Was it Solani? Yeah, Solani won it first, and then and then uh, Burry twice. And then yeah. Burry twice, but like. He also led the league in goals another year prior to it existing. So he should yes. have four awards, not three. Yeah. Because he has the Calder and he's got two Robert Richards, but yes. that's just because the league is stupid and should have had a trophy for this a long time ago. Yes, and that's um, actually um that's actually a really interesting answer to a great sports trivia question. Um, you know, who is the only player who uh won the Calder trophy but did not make the first all star oh, yeah. team for rookies? Yeah. And it's Pavel Bure because yeah. so many people voted for him as either a left winger or a right winger because that's – which is probably what pissed him off when he first arrived in Vancouver. But, like, you guys keep, like, playing me all over the ice. Like, I'm a right winger. That's like, what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's – because in Russia, you play on your off wing, so you're closer to the net with your shot. Yeah, yeah. The Russians figured that out many years ago because of their efficiency. Yeah. Um, and Canadians typically, you know, would – you're right-handed, you play right wing. You're left-handed, you play left wing. Yeah. Um, but it keeps your shot further away from the net. So the Russians being more interested in offense, we're like, yeah, keep your shot closer to the net and get that one timer and all that great stuff yeah. that, yeah. you know, has translated over into our hockey now. Yeah. Um, you know, so Burray was probably like, you keep using me all over the ice. It's limiting what I can do. Just play me where I'm supposed to be played. It's probably one of the reasons he was not happy when he first got there. And, you know, the Canucks were, I think he actually liked Pat Quinn. I don't think he liked anybody else. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and Pat Quinn was probably just like, wow, this guy's amazing. I should probably just let him do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it, it's it's interesting too. Um, so, you know, Burry winning so few awards, I feel like if the Canucks would have won that cup, I think he would have won the Conn Smythe. But yeah. you know what? It's pro it probably would have been Kirk McLean because he played out of his goddamn mind <laughs> for those few yeah. weeks. But Burry was right I, up there. The voters are voters like goals first of all um but you never know they uh, and the the criterion for consummate seems to have changed that 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 uh that, that game one that they won against the rangers in madison square garden yeah and it was the game after the rangers had won in overtime against uh, the devils in game seven the matto goal yeah i'm sure you remember the call matto matto and it, you know it's the, that was the game after McLe I think McLean stopped 51 shots okay. or 53, maybe <laughs> like it was insane. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that probably got him the Conn Smythe right there. Had they ended up winning yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. if it weren't for the fact that Leach and um, 
Leach and Richter were so strong on him, and like he might have he might have won it as like the opposing goalie, like he was that good. But yeah, you know, it does happen or used to happen anyway. Yeah. Um. So the other things we need to mention about him are uh, that he scored sixty goals twice, and he's only one of six players to ever do that, along with um, Gretzky, Hull, Lemieux. I feel like Lafleur, but I'm not hundred percent sure. And probably Bossy. Bossy, yeah. Um, and that's that's it. Um, yeah. And then he also had fifty-five goals four times, and one of only seven players to do that, and fifty goals five times, which is only one of eleven players. Um, again, similar players plus a few other guys, uh, but like you know, very elite. As we as we said, he is one of the elite goal scorers ever. Um, and especially the fact that he was able to do some of that in the clutch and grab era is really, really impressive. Yeah. To, to me, that's the thing that like makes him a lock, like uh, a lights out hall of famer, like my Canuck fandom aside, like obviously I love Bray. He's one of my favorite players ever. Um, and I got to see him in his, like when he first stormed the league and you're like, who is this guy? Like who plays like that? Yeah. Um, he, when he did it in Florida, I'm like, holy crap. He's had a couple of knee surgeries and he's still doing that. Like, Man, and like that team had nobody, yeah. <laughs> and he was still doing it. It's like literally the team said, "We stop Pavel tonight, guys. We can win." Yeah, uh, yeah. we didn't stop Pavel. We might have still won, but like that was our goal, and we couldn't do it. Like yeah. he's that he was that good. He was the whole team. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like he really he was only a couple one goal away from sixty three times, and two goals yeah. away from sixty four times in that other season. Uh, yeah. So he was like four goals away from yeah. sixty goals four times, basically. Um, yeah. which is crazy given that two of those were like, you know, some of the lowest scoring seasons ever. Um, he had, uh, he didn't have, he obviously only had that one good year. Well, that one long run in the playoffs in the NHL, but he has lots of NHL or sorry, uh, international experience um, success. Um, he won best forward at a couple different championships once uh, on, in the Olympics and once at uh, the world junior championships. And he, he won some other things. He, um, he won some medals. Uh, let me see. He won a, a couple bronze medals, Olympic bronze medals. Um, and uh, he won the World Junior Championship when he was the best forward. And he also uh, won some European championships before he came over um, with CSKA Moscow, that crazy good Moscow team that we talked about a lot in the, I believe it was the Fedorov or the Makarov episode. Yes. Particularly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... I mean, for me, there's just no doubt. And in fact, when he wasn't in, he was one of the guys who just every year I would just get pissed off yeah. when he wasn't inducted because I was just, I couldn't understand how you could have someone who was top five goals per game, top three goals per game if you eliminate the old timers and he wasn't in the Hall yeah. of Fame. It made no sense. And that isn't even adjusting for error. I bet if you adjust for error, I don't, I have, mm -hmm. uh, um, Actually, let me see if I can, while we're talking about it, I'm going to be able to yeah. uh, tell you this. But I bet if you adjust for era, it's even higher. Um, because, you know, he was doing this. He did this both in the highest scoring era in the league history and in the lowest or very close to, you know. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is one of the things that is incredibly impressive about him. And and I just like I just didn't understand why he wasn't automatic, like, the moment he was eligible. It made no me sense. Me too. And it's just like, it's like one of those things that I think there was like a Russian bias there a little bit, but it's like, and I think the number of games sort of became a wheel. We only played 700 games. But like, yeah, because he was hurt, not because of like well, any other reason. Just, I, so I've never been able to, uh, I've never been able to verify this, but years ago, 
I was researching one of my rants, my blog rants about the Hall of Fame. And um, what I I saw on, on Hockey Hall of Fame's website, a requirement of 650 games played to be in the Hall. Really? And, well, here's the thing. I don't know if it was a mistake or whether it used to be a rule that they got rid of and no one talks about it. Because I went back and tried to find it and I could never find it again. But I was like, I was wondering when he wasn't, uh, when he wasn't inducted, I was wondering if like, same thing with Forsberg. Yeah. Like, if guys who just barely made that requirement, if the old school guys were like trying to like, you know, say, well, you know, you got hurt a lot, which is totally your fault, of course. It has nothing to do with luck. Yeah. Um, you know, did you, I guess we'll have to... Uh, Keep like, your head up, you. kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Anyway, I don't, I don't know, but like it has always been weird to me that like this old school group of hockey players have always been like, we really, we want to punish guys for like getting hurt a little bit. You know, there's like uh, Lindros being perhaps the best example. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So adjusting for era, he is mm-hmm. 12 in, wow. in goal per game, but everybody ahead of them, except mm-hmm. for Lemieux, played. <sighs> Uh, so there are two people ahead of him who are modern, Ovechkin and Lemieux. The other guys played either in the uh, in the original area or or in the case of Richard uh, in the original six. Everybody else is like really old, like Babe Die, Side Identity, Howie Morenz, Nell Stewart, Bill Cook, Charlie Conacher. Uh, so, so what number is he? He's sorry, he's eleventh. Sorry, I said what did I say? He's eleventh, but he's like. Wow. But he's so it's Babe Die, who you know, a lot of these guys didn't yeah. play long, right? Like some of these guys didn't yeah. even play 300 games. So, yeah. of the people, if you cap it, if you say must have played at least the number of games Burray did, 700, he's four adjusted for error. And that is behind Ovechkin, Lemieux, and Richard. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I actually, uh, I'm surprised, I was surprised to see Lemieux ahead of him even with the adjustment for error but i guess he had those those later years in the clutch and grab era where he kept up his numbers anyway i mean to me it's just there's just a no-brainer and he should have been in immediately as far as i'm concerned yeah well i mean that's the thing other than they're just like overly cautious maybe yeah um So we had some technical difficulties, but we've worked them out. Um, and uh, we were just we were just saying that uh, we both feel like he uh, Barry was clearly a slam dunk Hall of Famer, and it's weird that it took a few years for that to happen. Yeah, and it was just like it's taken a few years for certain Hall of Fame to sort of acknowledge that thing. And it's it's an old point I always make to people about um, maybe certain baseball players, maybe uh, – and especially I always think about the NFL because they're sort of in the NHL in some ways. Like it's such a hard physical sport that sometimes those um, careers are cut short by injury because – well, you're getting blasted by hits all the time. And in the NHL, people are taking your knees out. And same thing in football sometimes. Yeah. And just the bodies wear down, right? So the, the the old case people used to make was Gail Sayers. He only played, I think, eight NFL seasons. And he's in the Hall of Fame. People are like, how did he get in with it? He only played eight NFL seasons. But like, yeah, he was far and away one of the best, most electrifying players for those eight years. 
Yeah. Like you watch old footage of him, you're like, dude, that guy is great. Like he he just he stands out, right? And mm-hmm. same sort of thing with Burray. And then I look at a guy like uh, I'm a big Broncos fan, so obviously this is the, the reference I'm going to use. But um, Terrell Davis was for for a few years. And I would say, you know, obviously Barry Sanders is still in the league at that point. I mean, Barry Sanders is lock Hall of Famer, did it for many years and did the same thing every year. But there was a couple of seasons where Terrell Davis rushed for, you know, he rushed for 2,000 yards once. Probably could have done it another time if they hadn't held him back a bit. He was phenomenal for four or five years of the Broncos. Like, we won a couple of Super Bowls, probably should have won one more. He was phenomenal. He was the difference maker, and he rushed for fifteen hundred yards, I think, four years in a row. And everybody's like, "Who is this guy?" Then he got his knee blown out, and he was still good, but he was never the same. And it's like, why do you punish a guy for getting hurt when clearly yeah. he demonstrated year to year to year, this is how good I am? And then you just like, you know, Gale Sayers, it's only eight years. And it's like, but he's far and away the best guy in the league. But, Why, and, like, and, or at least the most exciting one. Maybe his stats aren't always the best, but he's up there for that many years. And you're just like, no, nah, no, nah, he didn't play enough. But like, and, but it wasn't his fault. Not like he quit or he just he decided like he trailed off and kept playing and just he wasn't good anymore. It's like he got hurt and could not play anymore, which is yeah. it's almost one of those things. I think with a few more seasons of the NFL, I think Bo Jackson could have been the Hall of Fame. Because he was lights out good and then dislocated his hip and he couldn't play anymore. You're just like, that guy was such a freak athlete. Like, yeah. he was so brilliant, you couldn't believe how good he was. And it's like, man, and to the, have the, that sort of cut down, you know, it's tough. The um, thing about the NHL that bothered me when they mm-hmm. used, when Burray was out. And, and Lindros was out. And, and Lindros was out. out. Was like, the, the standard only applied to most players. It didn't apply to Cam Neely and Bobby Orr. Now, yes. Bobby Orr, okay, yeah. obviously Bobby Orr, like, yeah. you know. He's in a whole other stratosphere. Yeah. But, like, Cam Neely got <laughs> the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And I was like, so what exactly, what's wrong with these other guys? What did they do that, yeah. like, you're like, oh, we got to, they got to wait. It was like everybody felt bad for Neely because they knew he was a lock Hall of Famer, played for an original six team. And everybody knew exactly when his career got cut short because they yeah. remember old Samuelson knee jobbing him. Yeah, it was like there was a definitive moment. Whereas, yeah. I don't think Burray and Forsberg had that like that yeah. definitive moment of like that's when that guy ended his career. And if it wasn't for that, he would have played ten more seasons. And Lindros, even though he multiple times got just destroyed, yeah, he had more than one moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, especially the Scott Stevens one was just like, yeah, yeah that's the last time you're ever going to be great. Yeah. And we just – we weren't at that point of, like, concussions, like a yeah. headshot is a cheap shot. Yeah. So everybody sort of said, yeah, you keep looking down at the puck, loser. Like, just – it was it was weird. And and he wasn't likable. He had the Barry Bonds thing going. Yeah, with yeah, him, yeah. Just, you're no, kind yeah. of a dick. I think you can explain away the individual things with things like that, but it just, it's still stupid. It is stupid. Yeah. And it is a double standard, you know, like when you induct Cam Neely, but you don't induct someone who you wait a while to induct someone who scored a a better clip than he did. Yeah. to, To me, that's, it's part Russian theory. Yes. And it's part, 
it's part just he didn't play enough games, yeah. but because Neely's Canadian, played in an original six, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. never switched teams, all that stuff. It, it, well, I mean, he did. He got traded from Vancouver to Boston. Yeah, but he didn't demand it, though, which means. Oh, yes. Yeah, huge being. difference. Yeah, we just he's traded him of our own volition as we love yeah, to. Yeah, he's a better um, human being as anyways. a result. But, but right. it's one of those things, too, where it's like, to me, what, what sort of pissed me off, it's like, yeah, I acknowledge that Lindros demanded a trade and you didn't like that. I acknowledge that, yes, his parents were probably too involved in his hockey career and everybody didn't like him and Bobby Clark set out to make him like a supervillain, basically. But undeniably at one point, I remember about a five-year stretch in the NHL where it's like, undeniably Eric Lindros was the most dominant player. Yeah. Like you could not stop the guy even if you wanted to and it was clutch. Like he played a lot in the clutch and grab too where he just got, you know, molested and the, he couldn't you couldn't stop the guy like he was yeah. just a train and the only way to stop him was to hit him right in the head and give him a concussion and unfortunately as uh you know talking to one of our old buddies ryan he said when you know when he played in junior nobody could hit him so he put his head down a lot and when he yeah. got to the nhl guys could hit him and so he had this bad tendency of looking down at the puck every once in a while thinking nobody's gonna try to hit me because nobody ever had yeah. And then turns out, yeah, guys are, you know, I'm playing at a much higher level. And and you could hit a guy right in the face back then with your shoulder, with your elbow. Yeah. And, like, it was iffy whether it was going to get called or not. Like, it was a very different era in hockey. And if you didn't watch it, you don't understand how brutal it was sometimes. Um, guys legit, like, even though they'll say, no, no, I played hard. I didn't play to hurt him. I played to like make him feel it. It's like, no, dude, you're trying to hurt him. You hit him yeah. in the head. Yeah. You're trying to knock him out so he would not be able to play anymore. It was pretty it brutal. Was, it was a strategy. Yeah, it really was. Um, anyway, so fortunately, Beret's in, Linderos is in, Forsberg is in. Yes. And, and hopefully in the future, they will not do these. If there are, I don't, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who was a limited, who was out. Well, you know, who'll be an interesting test case. Going yeah. forward, is Kovalchuk, um, yeah. but that, for different reasons because he of yes. course didn't have health problems. He chose to leave anyway. Yes, that's going to be a very interesting one actually. Because yeah, he won't have enough games either, uh, no. but has lots of uh, um, goal high, lots of goals for a shitty team. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we should we should move on. Yes, uh, to the non-Russian of this group um, because we've been talking for quite a while and. Yes. Uh, so we have Corbett Denity, brother of Sai, less less good than Sai, it's safe to say. Um, and a really interesting one, because he, this is a guy who played for all four major early uh, hockey leagues. That's interesting. He played for the NHA. He then joined the NHL. Uh, he was then traded. Um, from the NHA into the PCHA. He then was traded back to the NHL. And then, or sorry, was he traded back to the NHL? Yes, he was. And then the NHL team waived him. He joined the WCHL. Man. And then <laughs> the WCHL, it folded he rejoined the NHL and then he wasn't done. Um, he was traded 
because that's what they did. They had weird relationships with minor league teams, uh, for, with a semi-pro team. So then he was traded out of the NHL to uh, to semi-pro and ended up playing in uh, the AHA, the forerunner of the AHL at one point um, in his late 30s. Um, but also for a, the PRHL, which is the Prairie Hockey League, uh, prior to that. So um, anyway, he had a crazy career. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the Russians at all. We picked him. We don't. We don't have a good reason for picking him, but he <laughs> does. He did. Uh, he played in all four leagues, and he uh, he basically he was good in the NHA. He was sometimes he had some good years in the NHL, uh, including leading the league in assists one season, um, and uh, he. He was good when he was in the WCHL, though he wasn't good when he was in the PCHA, uh, even though that was right in his his age prime. So he had a bizarre career. Um, it's hard to like. It's just it's it's a crazy career because he was like he jumped back and forth more so than any other player I'm aware of. I mean, um, maybe there were a lot of journeymen who did this, but in terms of people who scored as many goals as he did in the NHL, which is over a hundred, which was a fair amount for that period. Um, yeah. I don't know of anyone else who jumped back and forth between the leagues like he did. It's a I little was... bit, yeah. It's kind of weird because you normally see like they stick with one league for a chunky years, then that league yeah. folds, or they just don't feel like playing there anymore, and they switch. And yeah, yeah, it's a little bit bizarre. And and the thing is, like when he was traded out of the NHL uh, the first time, mm-hmm. no, the last time. I don't know. At one point, he was the 11th all-time in goals. Wow. Um, you know, sorry, that was the last time. Yeah. So it's not like he was like bad. Uh, it's just that he was not the best. Yeah. And I guess because of that, you were considered dispensable in a way that players who were better than he was. Um, yeah. You know, he scored like to give you an example of the fact that he was good. He was top five in goals three times in the NHL. Um, he scored 20 goals twice, which when he when he was done, he was one of only 12 players to do that. So like, it's not like he was terrible. Um, I mean, he was not a know, good player. Clearly, he led the league in assists once. Like, he was a good player. He just he was maybe not. He wasn't on the level of his brother, and as a result, he got moved around. Yeah, a whole bunch, like in such weird ways, in uh-huh. ways that. Players today would never, you know, yeah, don't get traded into a rival hockey league um, yeah. now. Um, and it's weird because he, like, you know, he, sorry, uh, I'm monopolizing the conversation, but he, like, one of the weird things is, like, his career essentially ended um, in 1924. Yeah. He was waived. And then he went and played in the WCHL, and he was good. And so then when the WCHL folded, they wanted him back in the NHL again. Yeah, he played uh, again yeah. and then uh, went back to the Saskatoon Cheeks. Yeah. Which apparently was okay to name your team like that back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's a weird one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He, he, he had such he a crazy career. NHL twice. Like, it was like WHL, like, wow, he's really good. NHL, eh, he's okay. Yeah. Oh, back to Sat. Like it's almost like it's really weird. I wish we could do a deeper dive into his like personal life. I feel like it's almost like 
I'm in Saskatoon. I had a kid. Oh, I'm going to go to Toronto and make some money. Oh, we're having another yeah. kid. I better stay in Saskatoon this season. Like there's a weird sort of thing going on where he keeps going East coast back to Saskatoon, but maybe yeah. it's just, that's, that's home. So I'm going home. Like, I don't know what was going on, but it's, it's kind of a weird thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I have no idea. I mean, it is a weird, um, it was also in Vancouver briefly. Um, yeah. And he's born in Cornwall, so what's his other attachment to Saskatoon, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, honestly, I have no idea. He has a, such a strange career. Yeah. And he was, but I, the reason why I think he's worthwhile to talk about in terms of Hall induction is just because he was, you know, he was a uh, a good NHA player. I mean, he might be, um, he might be twentieth all time in points from the NHA, something like that. Um, and then he was a good WCHL player. Uh, he might be his highest 16th all-time in WCHL points. Um, and then he was a decent NHL for the first two trips. There, his last career, he was kind of old on his third yeah. go-round. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is a guy who, like, he was top five offensive player in the NHL for uh, three or four years, five years in some cases, depending on your metric. Um, and was uh, also a, a top five or top 10 player in the NHA prior to that and top 10 in the WCHL. So he was a good player. Yeah. But he didn't stick around anywhere very long. Yeah. And it's kind of it's, an issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the longest he was anywhere was uh, he was with the St. Patrick's, but he was with the St. Patrick's in essentially two different stints because he briefly he went out to the PCHA. Yeah. In the middle of that, and I don't. And it was trade. Well, sorry, I don't know the details because he was, yeah. he was traded, but like, like you said, Bill, he might have. There might have been a request, yeah, um, involved uh, with him going, you know, out there, and then yeah. of course he didn't do well in the PCHA, so they brought him back. Um, yeah. It and there's you know there's some. I didn't like write down all the different names he was traded for because he was traded so many damn times. Since a lot of these guys, you know, only a few of them are guys we know, but like he was traded straight up for Jack Adams once. Um, but that was like, but that was league to league, right? It wasn't within the league, so it was super weird stuff. Yeah, I don't know. He had a he had a bizarre career, and yeah. uh, he was decent in all but one of the leagues he played in, or more yeah. than decent. He was good. Um, he just played for a long time in the NHL, so the end of his NHL career is not impressive. Uh, his, yeah, well, his the thing is, he didn't play long in the NHL, but his NHL numbers are really good. Yeah, yeah, like, he, like he had that last, that last. Uh, like, yeah, I, th- I think he's above a point a game if you just look at NHL. Like, oh no, uh, yeah. sorry, he has, that, he has that one season with the Hamilton Tigers where he yeah. has one assist in twenty three games. Like, yeah, so he like. <laughs> with, with the St. Patrick's, he was above a point a game. Yes. Uh, with the arenas, he's above a point a game. Yeah. Um, with the uh, Maple Leafs, he's above a point a game. Uh, and also with uh, the Blackhawks, he's yeah. a point a game. But then, like you said, there's that season with the Tigers or whatever they were called. Yeah. Um, where he is just uh, not good. Well, it's 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 actually uh, with the St. Patrick's, he's an awesome player, yeah. and the arenas as well. And then once he hits. Uh, once he hits the Maple Leafs, he's yeah, the name he's, he's seen his better days. Oh, the, the Maple, Maple Leafs are later. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, he he's like eight, eight points in twenty nine games. Uh, Blackhawks yeah. five point five goals in eighteen games. Oh, well, what was I looking at? Yeah, there's one above for the uh, Saskatchewan Cheeks. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, you know, I was, yeah, I was looking at the wrong numbers, yeah. Yeah, no, but I mean, like, it's, there's clearly that, there's a little block in the middle of his career where he plays for Toronto, and he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, for, for a decade, like, yeah. for a decade, he's really good, or at least close to a decade. I mean, he's a really solid player. And then, oh, just, yeah, so he was on a different Toronto team in the yeah. NHA, mm-hmm. but he was good in the NHA, too. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm just saying, like, once he started playing in Toronto, he's basically awesome. Yeah. And that's, you know, 1914, 15 until 1922. So I, yeah. a good, like, eight-year stretch where he is, he's really, really good. And, and, he, won, and he won two cups, uh, yeah. one with the arenas and one with the St. Patrick's. Yeah. Um, and, and also they almost, you know, they went to a, an NHL final as well. Um, yeah. Though they didn't win, they didn't get to the cup. Um, and he was, even though he was – not a great PCH player. His PCHA team also, uh, they were the best PCHA team when he was on them, though he did not have a great year. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame, but I think he had a fascinating career. And Yeah, absolutely. I, I forgot before we started talking about it, I, I, hadn't, I did these notes a long time ago, and I didn't remember how crazy it was, and I kind of wish I'd done a little more research because, like, it's just he got moved around so much. Yeah. I mean, compared to other guys, you know, it's like, Sign as a free agent, assigned to this team, signed as a free agent, traded to this team, traded to this team, claimed on waivers, traded to this team, traded to this team, endlessly, endlessly. Like, it's just, it'd be interesting, actually, like, I mean, it's the kind of story you almost want to read a book about just because of how around, <laughs> you know, yeah. how much he moved around um, and how he played in all four leagues, you know, yeah. for not an inconsequential, you know, there's, there's the odd guy we've talked about who did like a one or two game tryout for another league, essentially yeah. was lured away and then was like, oh, I don't like this and went back. This guy played, you know, he played a season in the PCHA, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. He played a season. So he played full seasons in all four, uh, all four of the pro hockey league, early pro hockey leagues, which is a relatively rare thing, I think. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Interesting guy. Yeah. For um, sure. I don't. I, he doesn't belong. I don't think. <laughs> well, I mean, he had he had that little stint of brilliance right in the middle. Maybe if he played. That's the thing is, if his NHA numbers were just like wow, and then he came to the NHL and did the same thing, you're like, okay, yeah, he's in. But yeah, yeah, it's like it seemed like he just thrived in the early days of the NHL and then sort of petered out. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it's he's an interesting case, but I, I don't think. I'm not terribly inclined to, you know, beat a drum and make sure he gets in sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those where I look at him and I see, oh, they didn't induct this guy. And this time I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, okay. I guess they must not have loved him. (laughs) It's true. Um, Okay. So to wrap up, uh, McGillney, how do you feel? I'm going to say no, but it's like, I would listen to a case over a beer for sure. It's it's a barely no. Like I, if he gets in, I'm not I'm not upset. Okay. And if he doesn't get in, I'm also not upset. But I would lean towards no. Okay. But I, oh, I, I think I'm on the same. His brilliance was so brilliant. Uh, it's tough. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm with you. I think I lean towards no too. I'm willing to entertain yes. Um, I also I don't know whether he'll ever be inducted because I feel like. Unlike Alfredson, who we talked about last episode, mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's as much like goodwill 
Yeah, I don't think it's like a groundswell of support for him at yeah, all. Yeah, I think a lot of people remember the like valleys of McGillie's career. And, like, <laughs> yeah. And there's some people who are really, for some reason, take it personally almost. And yeah. are just like, everybody, Ugh. like, when everybody remembers 76 goals, they remember Solani and that other yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, so, when you bring up McGillney, they're like, yeah, but what about that time he, like, you know, scored 19 or whatever the hell it was? Yeah, it's like, dude, like, he was awesome when he was on. Like, just, yeah. 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 I do think, like, if if there was a well-placed article mm-hmm. about how he, like, played, say, just pick one season. One yeah. season where he played, like, 50-something games and he scored, like, 0.7 points per game instead of one point whatever. And it was about how he played hurt the whole time. I think yeah. that would really change a lot of people's minds. I think so too. Yeah, especially if it was the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. All right, Burray. Burray's lock. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I. I mean, yeah, absolutely. He's for injuries, down. he's. I think he's in the six hundred goal club very easily. <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah, a hundred percent. And I think he's one of the best goal scorers in the history of the league. And it's all the more impressive that he was able to keep, like he was able to do essentially the same thing both in 1993 and in 2001 or whatever year yeah, he did it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Denny. I'm going to say no, just because if he's not in, I don't have anything that says he really should be in. He had a, he had a five-year run where I'm like, those numbers mean hall of famer, but he was in maybe a lesser league before that, but he, his numbers yeah. weren't even close. Like yeah. it's just to, to me, it's like, yeah, at his peak, he was good are really good, but he really trailed off after and he wasn't that great before. So what's the deal? Yeah. You can also, I I agree. And the other thing you, and not to like, this is, this is, uh, this is a a kind of narrative that I don't generally like, but one of the things that you can, some questions you can ask with players who get traded a lot is, you know, did, were their teams viewed them as dispensable, right? And now, unfortunately, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. And sometimes you get players who get traded a lot because people decided that they're dispensable because they've already been traded a lot. Yeah. But in the case of him, he was traded a lot. And it's worth wondering, at least, about, like, these teams all thought they could live without him, um, including one team that waived him. So it is worth... That's also, I mean, I don't, I, I think he's, he has a fascinating career and not because he belongs in the hall, but because he was, he played in so many different situations and, uh, you know, um, it just, it, it looks like a, it's an interesting thing that he managed to play in all four leagues and in at least one season in each and, uh, and, you know, be good in three of them. Anyway, I don't think he belongs, but it, it, he's interesting to look at his stats. Yeah, for sure. All right. I guess that's it. And that that wraps up our, uh, I think it was a 2015 class, right? So yeah, we're gonna have to, so, yeah. we have to go to 2014 now and uh, see who's available. Um, awesome. We're we're I don't know I haven't looked at 2014 in a bit, so I don't remember who's coming up. But uh, it also means we're getting closer and closer to my favorite year, which is the <laughs> year that they only inducted Dino Cicerelli. As I bring up, I feel like every episode, but <laughs> at least every other episode. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. yeah. So uh, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time.